This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. I'm worth a hundred thousand, not dollars, but diamonds. I am mud out the bayou, rip a page out the Bible, come and crucify me. I'm a long way from home, and this ain't Yellowstone. I trade a white bitch for catfish and yellow bones. This from the catacombs, this for the broken homes. From the south side of cities where my granny home I move to California, I bring a Grammy home I call the bill collectors, leave my fucking family alone We left the corner store on the way to caviar The coupe is mustard colored, what the fuck is Grey Poupon? Young K.A., never quit your day job uh. I bring the love to work, I need the day off uh. I need the Hard work should pay off, uh, the lights stay off until my mind is made up, uh, a young Zuckerberg, I wake up and make stuff, uh, these niggas copy us, they really need to pay us, uh, I'm from the city where your neighbors fight back, you talking shit, we bring that work right to your lap, I love my niggas like white people love rap, we make the shit you probably never say on track again. It is January 5th, 2018, and this is part one of the four-part series this year for our matches of the year. Um, the top 100, top 120 matches of 2017. Ugh. I have quit in and I have made a grave mistake. <laughs> You're telling me. Brock is here. Brock, why did I do this? <laughs> you did this because... You waited until the last minute to make your list and was like, oh shit, I, I got all these matches I want to talk about that they don't make it into my top 100, and you strong armed me into doing a four parter episode of, 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 a, of a thing we were joking about last year that was going to kill us. So now, so now, if last year didn't do us off, it's going to do it this year. Um, what Brock is referring to is that I did wait to the last minute to make my list. Gosh. But. Which what? is funny because because last year you were way more prepared than me, yes. and I made a last year I, I made a last minute list. Right. So the tables have turned. Yeah. So what happened was I made my list last minute, and when I got to towards the end of my list, I was just looking at the things in my match of the year document, mm-hmm. and I had this feeling of guilt that I would not be able to talk about certain matches. Mm-hmm. Like so, I wanted to be able to squeeze those in, knowing that I probably wouldn't hear much about a lot of them anywhere else. So that's where the 120 came from. Uh, Brock made a top 200 match yeah. list that he'll be posting I'm, on his personal blog because I'm a psycho. <laughs> so be thankful that we're not actually doing that because I actually do not know how many parts that would take. Yeah, that'd be a while. That'd be a long time. That would be an entire week's worth of audio. Oh, Jesus. Seven days. <laughs> <laughs> but we're here for the top 100 matches. 120 matches. 120. You better say it right. <laughs> of 2017. Um, we all know how making a list works. There's no special criteria. Uh, what you like the most is what's going to be on your list. So, um, mostly. Mostly for the most. I mean, I do have a couple of honorable mentions that, uh, I didn't like them a lot, but they do mean some. But they do mean something to me in the respect that I couldn't squeeze them on my list because realistically the match wasn't good enough to warrant that. Mm-hmm. But there is some kind of emotional attachment to that match happening. So um, 
I guess I should address those matches real quick then. Okay. One of them being Fred Yate High versus Walter from Evolve 90. Oh, cool. Didn't make my... Uh, I don't think I made my top 200, so we're good. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't make my list, and I liked it a lot live. I was there live. Um, it was in top of Maryland. And I got to see Walter, which was fucking mm-hmm. cool. So I've been like a huge Walter fan for years, and seeing Walter alive is something I never imagined I'd be able to do. I mean, at least in America. Like, I always had dreamed of, like, visiting uh, Germany to go to a WXW show. But seeing Walter in America is something I never thought I'd be able to experience, so that mm-hmm. was really fucking cool for me. And the match was had, good, too. Had had you seen Fred before? Yeah. They, um, Fred's been um, on all the Joppa shows, I think. Okay. Another honorable mention that for a while was actually going to be my 200 because this match makes me feel so weird is uh, Roman Reigns versus Undertaker from WrestleMania. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Controversial. So this match makes me feel weird because it's not a good match by any means. Sure. But I think it's also way more impactful and emotional because it wasn't a good match. Because it was an actively bad match. Mm-hmm. Because Undertaker goes out on such a whimper, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's not because he goes out on a whimper. It's because Undertaker is a big part of my wrestling fandom. Uh, sort of a blanket. He was there ever since I started watching wrestling. You know, which was way back in like 2000, 2001. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been there ever since. Like, not a regular this entire time, obviously. But he's been there. So, watching him have this moment to leave his jacket and hat in the ring was emotional for me. And for an hour or so, I just sat there in my basement with nothing on, just, like, thinking that, like, holy shit, like, that entire, like, part of my life is, like, gone in some ways. He, like, represented, like, a whole, like, section of me, like, getting into wrestling and learning about wrestling. And now that I'm old enough, I have to see, like, these people retire now, which is weird to say. How did how did that match compare to you compared to the streak ending? With the streak ending, I, it did shock me. Yeah. It, but it was also a match that actually was bad to me that it put me to sleep. I think I've told you oh, before. <laughs> really? Yeah, that match put me to sleep. That's hilarious. And I did watch it since, and it's not like, it's still not good. Not did, you con- did you conk out for the whole show? No, I woke up after that. Ma- I woke up after that match. <laughs> I was like, "Did you watch Brian winning late? Like, that's crazy." No, oh. um, I so I fell asleep during that match, and then I only woke up when Brock Lesnar hit that last F five. Okay, and then I looked at my screen as the ref was counting three, and once his hand hit the mat on the last one, I'm like, "What the fuck just happened? <laughs> this is a dream?" Yeah, really. <laughs> I was like, "Am I sleeping?" <laughs> yeah, but uh. Yeah, I just wanted to mention that because I was like, the Roman Taker match is not that good. Sure. But, you know, it did get a genuine emotional reaction out of me that a lot of these good matches on my list weren't able to get. And a lot of that is due to, like, you know, years and years and years and seeing someone. Mm-hmm. The Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels from WrestleMania 25 is like the match that made me realize how much I really, really love wrestling. Mm hmm. So to see at least like this other half of that match is retired now too, uh, definitely does a lot to me. But um, do you have two, any other mentions you want to mention before um, we get to the list proper? Um, not really, because like I did, like I did obviously make this top two hundred list. 
and you will be able to find it at some point in the month of January over on my blog at Brock Hates Wrestling on WordPress. Um, there's not necessarily anything that I need to talk about here, and I feel like I'm going to talk about a couple of these matches because you're going to have them higher than me. Um, but if you're interested at all at seeing what the fuck I filled out the rest of my top 200 with, uh, head over to my blog in a couple of weeks. All right. Um, you did say you had some statistics that you wanted to talk about. I did. Um, because I like numbers and I like lists and I like factoids and just a, just a weirdly specific guy like that. Um, and so out of my top 200, I broke down like percentage wise, uh, how many matches are represented by certain performers, uh, how many, Matches are represented by certain promotions. And Quentin, I wanted you to guess which promotion is represented most here on my top 200 matches. Um, I feel like the safe bet is probably WXW, but I think CWF Mid-Atlantic is probably a good shot, too. Neither one of those is correct. Hmm. WXW was tied for second with New Japan at 20 each. Uh, CWF Mid-Atlantic came out at a strong fifth with 12. Uh, number four, um, related to my number one, is NXT with 17. And number one, bafflingly, is main roster WWE with 23 matches. What the fuck? I, I, well, like, okay, so here's the thing. They put on... So much wrestling. I counted it up between Raw, SmackDown, 205 Live, NXT, 20 pay-per-views throughout the year or something. Um, and excluding the Mayon Classic and the UK Championship shows, all those shows throughout the year. Uh, WWE had like upwards of 425 hours of footage released this year. Or, well, 2017. Uh, and the next highest after them was new japan which had somewhere around 300 conservatively i think it's a little under 300 but they probably broke 300 um and it's like when you're putting on that much wrestling and i watched a ton of it like i watched upwards of 100 wwe matches in 2017 you're just gonna have a lot of good stuff on there but it's crazy like between wwe and nxt as well as the man classic and um and uh, the UK title tournament, like one in five matches on my top 200 is like WWE affiliated, which is bananas if you know who I am. Yeah, and even like beyond that, like I thought 27, I mean 2016 was a better year in the ring for WWE as far as like even like in, uh, excuse me, in NXT and on the main roster. And the Shirtway Classic was better than the main Young Classic. Oh, totally. Gosh, not even close. <laughs> yeah, so that's what, you, yeah, so that's what I was thinking. Like, hmm. Well, I just, I, I watched so much more wrestling in 2017 than I ever have before. Right. Like, on my blog, I uploaded 800 matches, and I watched, like, I review a, a little under half of what I watch, and I only uploaded, like, 200 matches in 2016, which is not to say that's not all the reviews I wrote. I actually didn't post a lot of reviews from 2016 because, like, I got it in my head that they should be posted in order that they happened, and... When I tried to do that and tried to review things in order, I just got such a backlog, and it was just a stupid idea. Those are going to go up eventually. But, like, I, I just watched so much more wrestling, and WWE and New Japan also, like, benefited heavily from it. Right. So, I guess with that out of the way, are you ready to get started here? Mm-hmm. 
I think we're gonna like stay with the whole thing of I'll say a match if you have it higher. Mm-hmm. Blah, 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 blah. So um, my one twenty is Aussie Open and Amari versus Never Say Die and Connor Mills from Progress Chapter Fifty Six. Did not have this match. I'm not sure that I actually watched it. I didn't. I don't think I watched. I didn't watch a whole lot of Progress after their big Alley Pally show. Yeah, I don't blame you. Um, I think this match is really cool for me. Um, obviously, being a very big Aussie Open fan, you mm-hmm. hear me gush about Kyle Fletcher, Mark Davis, uh, on the Top 50 Wrestlers of the Year podcast with Tim. And I really like Omari, too. Uh, mm-hmm. But Never Say Die, which are um, knuckle lock school guys, and so is Connor Mills. They're really talented workers, too. So when you get these young, up-and-coming wrestlers in the UK scene and just put them in a trios match, you get something that feels completely unique and is just full of fun mm-hmm. and great action, um, a lot of chippiness, um, a great closing stretch, a great crowd. And yeah, the crowd was nuts for it, wasn't there? Mm-hmm. crowd was nuts for it, way hotter than you would ever think. And so it was just a really damn good trios match that felt unique to this, um, pro- to, felt unique to progress in general, honestly. I can't remember a match like this happening maybe ever in the company where it's just a trios match full of young guys just going out there and killing it. Almost like in a rival school kind of way. Sure. With the fight, with the fight Club Pro Academy and the Knuckle Lux guys. But yeah, really fun stuff. Um, I understand why people may have missed this because, um, following Chase the Sun, a lot of people felt, um, burned by progress in a lot of ways. Yeah. But, you know, it's a really great match. Obviously, there's a lot of progress on my list, mainly mm-hmm. because, like, like the booking fucking sucked a lot of the year. But, and I also don't hold that hold that against the guys going out there wrestling, and there was a lot of fucking good wrestling on these progress shows. Progress actually came in uh, tied for seventh place on my list yeah. of most matches. Uh, so that was your one twenty, my one twenty, and uh, on this first episode, we're going to be running through numbers one twenty through ninety one. We're going to tackle it in uh, four quarters here. Mm. Uh, my 120 is Braun Strowman versus Roman Reigns from WWE's Fast Lane. All right, not on my list, but I thought this was probably their best match. Really? Did you? Yeah. Okay. I have, I think, two of them higher. Um, this was obviously the first match. I don't think it was the first. It's not the first match they've ever had. I think this was the first singles of those to ever make tape. Um, but anywho, this was like the first chapter in uh, one of my favorite feuds throughout 2017. It's kind of weird because um, they already felt like they were old rivals. They were like reversals and reversals of reversals and like just enough familiarity that it, it felt a little too convenient for a first time match. Um, but I took that meaning that Roman had to use all of his wits to try to survive against like just an unstoppable monster like Braun Strowman. Um, and outside of like the more dramatic WWE elements of, you know, commentary freaking out and big facials, I, I thought this ruled like it was just a, a nice little slugfest of a match kicked off their feud in a great way. And, um, I mean, they, they show up a lot on my list, so I'm glad to have them here. Oh uh, yeah. Every Braun Strowman, Roman Reigns match I really enjoyed. Um, I think the one I may probably enjoyed, enjoyed, enjoyed the least was the Last Man Standing match. Oh, Quentin, killing me. <laughs> and that's probably, that's mainly like due to the finish. But like, yeah, I thought I thought, I thought, oh, I thought the last the man finish was great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna talk about it later. <laughs> um, 
All right. So my 119 is Kushida versus Ryusuke Taguchi from New Japan mm. Best of Super Juniors Night 11. I think I watched like two Best of the Super Juniors matches, so this is all you. <laughs> um, if you've seen a Kushida versus Ryusuke Taguchi match, like you know that this was just really fucking good. Mm-hmm. These guys have tremendous chemistry. Um, other than Minoru Tanaka, Kushida is probably Taguchi's best opponent, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and Taguchi's up there with Kushida's best opponent, so you could argue that he's number one. Um, both guys very great at targeting a limb, great at creating drama down the stretch, and looking having brutal-looking offense. Um, Taguchi, I think people have eased up on him over the years, but he used to get a lot of shit. And I'll always tell people that when Taguchi was to turn it on, he is one of the absolute best wrestlers in the company. He is. I think, really I think he's. I think he's sort of eased off on it too, though. Is the thing? Yeah, I think eh, kind of. I mean, like his <laughs> this name of his like kind of faction is Taguchi <laughs> Japan and the whole Super sure. Sixty Nine thing. Like, well, uh, Super Sixty Nine is a good point, but it's not. It's not like butt Japan or something, you know. True, true, true. Um, but yeah, it's like a lot of smart. Savvy mat work, some smart limb targeting, great drama. Um, what'd you expect from these two? Not a lot to say there, but if you missed this because this was like deep into the best of the Super Juniors tour, I don't blame you, but I would definitely recommend checking this out. All right, so that was your number 119. My 119 is something you might have higher, but I'm not sure. It's something that I know you enjoyed regardless. It's Zack Sabre Jr. versus Mike Quackenbush from Chikara's Bad Wolf. No, I did not have it on my uh, list, although I really enjoyed it. I think I like the... Mm-hmm. Um... Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about that yeah. one later. Yeah, okay. this, was the, this was the first of a series of two matches these two had in 2017. Um, and it was just the story of two... Sort of remarkably similar wrestlers, at least in in terms of like uh, British flavored and Japanese flavored grappling, um, and they have a friendly little technical match. Uh, Quack is mostly retired these days and had just a surprise match here against an old friend. But uh, as Zach is wont to do, he threw a temper tantrum and mm. things got a little lippy, and it was awesome uh it got a little sloppy towards the end but uh it was just the first match in a series and they tightened it up in the second one and i'm looking forward to talking about that one later yeah zach and his temper tantrums even when facing mike quackenbush you know that temper does start to flare which is definitely like a high point and most mm-hmm. of the matches that i have on my list from zach um my number 118 may be my most controversial one so to oh because it is from a very, very acclaimed feud that happened in the WWE this year. My number 118 is the only match from my feud, from this feud, actually. It's the Usos versus the New Day from WWE SummerSlam. Uh, I did not have any of their matches higher. I was not all that impressed with them. Hmm. Uh... I gave, I think I gave all of their matches that happened on pay per view four stars or better this year. Mm-hmm. I really very enjoy, popular. Yeah, I really enjoy these matches. A lot of people gave some of these matches five stars. Um, yeah. but this one I think stood out to be the most for just the complete lunacy and the fact that they did this, um, on the pre show of a pay per view. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, these guys, for some reason, just didn't make the cut for the main show, and they went out there on the pre-show and just absolutely killed it, and in my opinion, had the best match that was on that card. And this is this is the highest of the matches from this feud that you have, right? Mm-hmm. Interesting. What, what makes this one better than, say, their Hell in a Cell match? Um, I think the Hell in a Cell one 
kind of gets goofy when it doesn't need to be with the whole, like, I guess, like, uh, colored kendo sticks and other spots. <laughs> sure. <laughs> it it kind of gets goofy when it, do, when it doesn't need to be. Um, yeah. Battleground has the Xavier Wood story, which for a lot of people would probably make that the number one mm-hmm. match. Um, and Money in the Bank, I think the finish was actually pretty smart and a good way to set up the rest of the year for them. But I just thought this was probably the most complete match they had. Okay. All right, you can go ahead. You're 118 now. My 118 is the first of a number of CWF Mid-Atlantic matches, and it's Trevor Lee in a six-pack challenge taking on Kane Justice, Eric Andrews, Chip Day, Smith Garrett, and Otto Schwantz for the CWF Mid-Atlantic Heavyweight Championship. I have this way higher. Way higher. Okay, we'll talk about it later then. And I'll transition to my 117, which is a last man standing match that was <laughs> needlessly disparaged earlier. <laughs> it's not the one you mentioned, but it's uh, it's Matt Matt Riddle taking on Keith Lee at Evolve 94. Hmm. All right. I did not think you were that big a fan of the Matt Riddle-Keith Lee like, combination. I actually really enjoyed it. Like, it's... um. There was something in my review of this that I went into that I I think is bullshit, but I believe it. <laughs> um, and it's it's the idea that like Matt Riddle and Keith Lee work well together because they're just two like um, two behemoths, two gods colliding with each other. Um, and one of my biggest complaints about Riddle is usually that his selling is is sort of non-existent for me. He usually flits between, um, you know, just walking around normally in the ring and dead selling. And he does a whole lot of that here though. He's, he does have some good gut selling late in this match. Um, but here I thought that sort of thing was really effective because it sells this idea that Riddle is such a Superman that like you have to knock him unconscious in order to keep him down for any significant period of time. Right. And I like that sort of idea way better in a last man standing match where guys aren't kicking out of moves every, you know, 20 seconds. Um, I, I'm just a sucker for the gimmick anyway. They, they do all sorts of bombs here. It looks great. Uh, this was easily the highlight of like, of evolve post like April, like when they, they had not an insignificant downturn. Um, Really, just really enjoyable match. Just a fun little bomb fest. I like to see Keith Lee win the big one, even though winning the big one in Evolve mm-hmm. as we transition it to 2018 don't mean a whole lot. But uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, I think I liked their first match more. But this mm-hmm. was definitely really good, and I enjoyed the finish a lot. They were all good. All four of their matches throughout the year were really good. Mm-hmm. My number... 117 is Timothy Thatcher versus Donovan Dijak from Progress, New York. I like this a lot, but it didn't... I don't think I made my list at all. Um, In a phenomenal year for Timothy Thatcher, I thought this was one of the most interesting matches he had for the fact that this was like a pure styles clash on paper mm-hmm. that you would not know what to expect um, what to expect them from it. Um, and in front of this really hot no, in both ways. Literally. <laughs> no, this can go both ways. Um, in front of the really hot progress crowd in New York, uh, I thought Timothy Thatcher did some phenomenal heel work. Donovan Dijak mm-hmm. did some great selling of his arm. And overall, just great stuff. Um, Timothy Thatcher is always great for facial expressions and awesome targeted offense. Donovan Dijak, um, despite his size, it is always just much better as a baby face. He just sells mm. in a way that is very convincing. He can fight from underneath, and 
Timothy Thatcher is a big dude who can put a beating on him. So it was believable watching Timothy Thatcher start to rip him apart. I remember it being just like a weird match, uh, partially due to that style clash, but also due to just the fact that they're two big, lanky, awkward sort of dudes. Mm -hmm. Um, but like, I did really enjoy it. It's two guys I liked a lot. And, uh, I mean, even, even past just like the weirdness of, of the matchup itself, like it was, it was really enjoyable. My 116 is Shima versus Ryu Saito from Dragon Gate, um, May 27th during the King of Gate tour. I don't know. I don't remember if I saw this, so you have to take it. I think I might have said, I think I might have recommended it to you, saying it was like surprisingly great. And yeah. I still stand by this. This is a surprisingly awesome match between, um, Two of the two of the earliest guys of the Toriyaman Dragon Gate system. Um, Ray Saito doesn't have these kind of matches that often, even though he just had a really good match with um, Masaki Mochizuki at Final Gate. But yeah, it was really refreshing to just see these guys go out there and just kind of like turn back the clock and just have this awesome match in the middle of the tour that you would not expect. Okay, I, I, I've definitely. That's not the only time we're going to talk about Shima in the King of Gate tournament this year. Uh, uh, my one sixteen was a match that um, was kind of surprising that I liked it. Like it was a match that I think a lot of people didn't enjoy, and I did, which isn't an uncommon thing, <laughs> truthfully. Uh, but it was weird that I liked this sort of match in particular when other people didn't. And it's uh, Hideo Itami versus Alistair Black from uh, NXT Takeover Brooklyn. Hmm, this is I did like that match a lot. Okay, did it not make your list at all? No, not made my list. But out of everybody that I saw, and at least in Iowa, I think I was like always like the sort of apologies for it. Like, what are you guys talking about? This was probably the best they could do in WWE. <laughs> this was, I, I think it was just like a cool confluence of stories and just actual good, um, match content. Uh, the story of this one is that like over the spring and summer, like ever since he came back from injury, Hideo Itami has just been a total douchebag. Um, like came back with a chip on her shoulder, uh, due to the fact that that fucking shoulder has been shitty to him for two years. Um, and went on a tear, like did pretty well, got himself, you know, a title match at NXT TakeOver, what, Chicago? Um, but was just really aggressive, was utilizing all sorts of dirty tactics throughout the year, it was sometimes just outright cheating, was like trying to hurt people at certain times, uh, just being a real prick. And so he comes face to face here with Aleister Black, um, who has been established as NXT's hot new uh, like squash match killer guy. And I, I don't like the fact this happened several times with black throughout the year. And it bothered me every time that so soon after his debut, they would have him going like 50, 50 in a match with just some random guy when he's supposed to be like the killer of the promotion. Um, but with someone like a Tommy very specifically, like this guy who a is a tremendous striker on his own and B has like, recently developed a mean streak in which he's pulling out all these nasty tricks. Uh, I really enjoyed seeing him beat down on black. Uh, mostly he just utilizes a headlock because you can't get your head kicked off when you've got your guy in a headlock. Um, and like, I understand if people didn't enjoy that, but like it really 
like it was really fun to me to see like black get really pissed off of it as he's like sitting in this headlock he's he's bleeding from the nose got his nose busted open at some point and he's just slowly getting more and more angry and eventually explodes and takes out atami atami at the end is like he's doing some face face washes i think and he's screaming at black and he's screaming at the crowd to like respect me um but the thing is, like, he just, he doesn't deserve respect after, like, all the months of his chicanery. And Black just kills him with the, um, what's it called? The Black Mass? The yeah, spinning heel mass. kick? Okay. So he just kills him with the, with a gross kick. And, like, there's, I, I think a common, a common complaint about this match, and with, you know, many strike based matches these days, really, is, is that they're too, like, dancey, they're too twirly, they're too thigh slap happy. Um, and there were certainly some of that here, but like for the most part, these two were like belting each other with strikes, and like that last one was real good, and it it ended off a match that I found myself enjoying against all the odds. I feel like it's always weird, at least with like these kind of guys. Um, even like on Mike Bailey, mm-hmm. people will say like, "Oh man, this kicking is kind of um, it's a little too fancy," and it's like, well, that's kind of like the nature of like the martial art itself. Sure, you know, totally. like, like something like kickboxing, something like taekwondo. They're just naturally like pretty flashy for a martial art. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, and I get it. And I think a lot of the complaint was too is that on paper, if you just think about it from like a nerd standpoint, this is Tommy Yen versus Kenta. Oh my god, they're going to kick the shit out of each other. Totally. And like, um, um, Hideo's older and worn down. Um, Alistair just got there. He's probably being told told to tone it down a bit. Um, so yeah, you weren't going to get like some kind of like, uh, TJ Perkins versus like Zack Sabre Jr. Kind of like mock battle arts kind of match. Sure. Like, but you did get something that was really good and something Mm -hmm. that I was really surprised that a lot of people were just so down on. Um, it was, it was a nice end for the Atomic character too, because mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken, I think this was his last TV appearance. It was either this or like. A Cassius Ono match like the week after. Yeah, um, might have been a Cassius Ono match. And then he takes a couple months off and uh, shows up in uh, the main roster. And yeah, and I thought that was just a nice, uh, a nice little story of like him coming back from an injury that kept him on the shelf for the better part of two years, being just super pissed off, like wasting through uh, a whole bunch of the roster, uh, which we're going to talk about later in a couple high profile matches, and. Uh, eventually coming face-to-face with, like, the one guy who can now kick him, and he just kills him. All right. So my 115 is uh, Echisaro versus Kaifan from Tijuana. Uh, don't know the promotion's name, but this is from <laughs> January <course>. 7th. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I watched this, sadly. Uh, yeah, this came out uh, early in 2017, obviously. It actually was first um, aired on, like, a Facebook live stream. Nice. So, yeah, that was really fun. But yeah, this was two of my favorite guys in Lucha having an awesome mat-based match. Um, for the first two falls, whenever somebody um, picked up the picked up the win there, they would always play some music in between, and that was just kind of like a weird like <laughs> aesthetic thing that made it really cool. Okay. Um, but yeah, I really like the mat work here um, in Lucha in Lucha with the two three fall step. Um, it's always really going to come down to escalation and how you escalate the match. And you could tell throughout the falls that they were getting a little bit more violent and aggressive with each other. So by the time the third fall comes around, we're um, getting some chops, getting some bigger moves. So, yeah, I really enjoyed it here. I think Kaifan is very uh, underappreciated in general. I'm sad that uh, he's going to yeah. be gone for a while. 
And Edgy Cyro is one of the absolute best wrestlers in the world, so really you just couldn't go wrong here with this match at all. This was like a real bad beginning of the year for Lucha, as as like Negro Casas, Black Terry Jr., Negro Navarro, and Typhon all got hurt and will be gone for significant periods of time. Uh, Yeah, this is uh, losing those guys on the indies, and they were always like highlights. Totally. You know, that definitely hurts a lot. Especially when CMLL isn't, you know, always exactly going to give you what you need in AAA and AAA. So, you know. Um, what's your 115? Uh, my 115 is um, a match some people will probably think is way too low. But, uh, I don't know, it was, it was a match that sort of surprised me and impressed me, but also uh, baffled me. And it's uh, Fred Yehi versus Brian Cage from FIP's Ascension 2017. This barely missed my list. Oh, really? Okay. So, uh, if you've ever seen a Fred Yehi match, you know how this one goes. Uh, he takes a lesser opponent and uh, slots him into all sorts of completely unique and completely um, interesting uh, tropes, like, thing, I, I hesitate to say tropes, really, because, like, only Fred Yehi does them, so, if it's, if it's only something you see one person do, I don't, I'm not sure if you can say it's, like, a greater, you know, a greater trend, um, but, like, he, he takes Brian Cage, a guy who's got, like, more HGH than blood running through his veins, <laughs> and he, and he s- makes sure that he sticks to what's he, what he knows, like, he just does his power stuff, and, um, keeps the match real hot, and Fred just scrambles around for any foothold he can get against this giant dude trying to take the belt from him until he finally slaps on a hold that 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 cage as big as he is just can't escape and that's that's all it was and it was it was it was so simple but it was like shockingly good and the crowd was incredibly hot for it. Mm-hmm. Like th- this tiny little crowd in Ybor City, in in like the Orpheum, like the smallest building ever, with, and with, with, like nobody in the crowd. Nobody, like thirty people maybe, and it's like they were just screaming for it. And it was I don't know, like it's this wasn't my favorite Brian Cage match ever, but it's like the best Brian Cage match ever. I, I think I can say that with like some with some clarity and with some. Um, that's the word I'm looking for. But whatever. Like, I'm pretty sure this is the best match Brian Cage has ever had. And it wasn't, it wasn't like, like, I don't think it was even the fifth best Fred Yehi match this year. <laughs> uh, I, I was really impressed by, it. I don't know, like, there was something about it that, like, I think it just threw me off with how simple it was mm-hmm. that, that it didn't get higher on my list, but it's a really good match. Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, definitely one of those matches that early on in the year was making Fred Yehi one of those, like, Mm-hmm. Very, very tippy top, like wrestler of the year kind of, like wrestler of the year kind of guys. Yeah. Because he was doing it against guys like Brian Cage and Teddy Stigma. Um, even someone every, like, every, like, what'd you say? Everybody was into that Teddy Stigma match. It was so weird. Yeah. I don't, I don't know why everyone watched that show. <laughs> I think that was like the first FIP show of the year. Yeah, it was it was everything burns and 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 Gabe went on that like weird Twitter spiel about it, <laughs> where where FIP was going to be super edgy, and I guess that actually drew people to watch the show because everyone watched it. <laughs> um, they watched three full FIP shows this year. Things, yeah, I, think, I think I think that was the only one I watched full, but I watched a couple. Yeah. Um. Yeah, like the Teddy Stigma match and the Brian Cage match were like putting Fred Yehi up in that. Oh my god! Like this guy is like 
not there. Like he is going to be like the main guy the whole year. And for all people, he should probably still is number one. And that is a more than viable pick because he had like a whole lot of volume this year. Totally. But, uh, yeah, very, very smart match that I enjoyed a lot. My number 114 is something you might have higher, but I'm not sure. Uh, Rainkamp versus Bobby Guns and Jackson Stone from WXW Broken Rules. Ooh, um, actually, let me see where I have that. Gonna have to control F. Nope, I have it lower. Ooh, okay. I had it at 154. Oh, right out there. I was definitely expecting this to sneak on your list somewhere. Not super high. I thought it may be at a spot. But all right. Um, this is the conclusion of this Rincon versus Bobby Guns feud. Jackson mm-hmm. Stone is here, and he's good. But, like, it's, it's, it's Rincon versus Bobby Guns. Is he? I think this is the first time I ever saw him. He's, he's good. <laughs> like, but this is Rincon versus Bobby Guns. Um, Bobby Guns just being a disrespectful asshole. Mm-hmm. Um, in the build, Bobby Guns... Uh, Put out a cigarette in Timothy Thatcher's eye. So, uh, you know, we get... That explains, like, the Timothy Thatcher eye patch that we saw him wearing across multiple promotions, which yeah. is something I did not expect. Um, Tim's a professional, if nothing else. <laughs> he's committed. Um, but, yeah, this is a no-disqualification elimination match. Mm-hmm. And if you know anything about Timothy Thatcher, you know that he has roots in deathmatch, hardcore wrestling, whatever you want to call it. So this wasn't foreign to him. Walter has done his fair share of stipulation matches too. But Bobby Guns more than held his own here. And Jackson Stone, for a while he was there, I thought he was, real, I thought he was good too. Yeah. Um, this match does pick up once Jackson Stone is eliminated. But um, what I do think is like the most important thing here is Rinkoff came in as the babyfaces. They were being wronged. They were being harassed and disrespected by Bobby Guns. Bobby Guns, who, like, I, I don't think I'd put him on a list, but, like, straight up one of the best heels in the world at the yeah. moment. Like, just a, a total shithead. Mm-hmm. Just being completely disrespected and harassed by this fucking prick of a dude. And once the ring call gets the advantage and they're just beating the living shit <laughs> out of Bobby Guns, you can hear the announcers... And you can hear the crowd kind of start to turn, and they're like, hey, guys, this is, like, a little too much here. Yeah. Not even that it's too much. It's also for the fact that Bobby Guns are surviving, because when you put someone at the disadvantage in an elimination match, mm-hmm. you know, just wrestling. Against two people who are way bigger than him, too. Yeah, against two big, menacing-looking dudes. Yeah. Um, You do kind of be like, oh, all right, this is, like, the baby face. We're supposed to cheer for him. This is, like, the big comeback moment. And Bobby gets flashes... But it's Rinkoff just dominating the hell out of him, mm-hmm. him, making him pay for his sins, and trying to teach him a lesson. And uh, there are some great visuals here. I thought this was one of the best Timothy Thatcher performances of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, for as much shit as he gets for um, being emotionless from people, but although I covered that in bulk on the Southern sure. of the Year podcast, him ripping off the eye patch and his face after he gets stomped into the thumbtacks and has a thumbtack stuck in his um, in the bridge of his nose for the rest of the match. You know, those are tremendous visuals. Um, but we get that and a brutal finish from Walter on Bobby Guns. And this was like the catalyst of this sort of Bobby Guns, almost face turn kind of anti-hero space yeah. that we're in, the, in now where... A lot of people think he's gonna jo- he's gonna join Ringconf. I don't know if or when that's gonna happen, but um, this match definitely set it in motion. Having Bobby play this 
valiant character while also keeping his edge as like this disrespectful punk, which is something that mm-hmm. like you can kind of say like they did with like Orton in like 2004. Sure. But they also went right back to Orton being a it's, this really like it's it's not it's not out of the world to say that this was Bobby Guns's like Orton Foley. Yeah. It, like that, it's yeah. like aside from aside from being just a great no maybe not great but aside from being like a real good like hardcore match this is just like a really interesting character moment where this like this isn't a double turn mm-hmm. like ring camp doesn't go back to being heels here bobby guns doesn't turn face but like and there's bobby, and bobby guns deserve what he got mm-hmm, totally 100% but it's like it's just like a it's it's an added layer on top of each character and like there's fallout from it like ring camp like discuss between themselves like maybe we pushed us pushed it a little far here um and i think like this leads directly into them like starting to buddy up to monster consulting, like trying to branch out into a wilder side of wrestling. And it's like, it was just super interesting. Like for anybody who, who wants to follow WXW or has followed WXW, this is a really appealing match. All right. So what's your one fourteen? My one fourteen, uh, sort of a similar thing in that it's a one sided beatdown in a hardcore match. It is a uh, Nick Gage versus Jimmy Lloyd from GCW's Tournament of Survival Two. Mm, all right, you didn't have this, I, I imagine. <laughs> no, I didn't have this, although I did enjoy it. <laughs> uh, best squash match of the year. Though I mean, I have like two higher than this actually. Um, but just a tremendous little squash match uh, between like one of the best like weird looking baby faces in the in the world and that's a that's an archetype i really enjoy jimmy lloyd is just super fun as this like does he look does he look weirder than kyle fletcher yeah mm-hmm. like fletcher looks like just a, a tall lanky sort of person jimmy lloyd doesn't totally look human <laughs> like he look he looks like a toad man <laughs> like, <laughs> i mean that was a pretty fair description <laughs> yeah and, and i mean that with love like he's a cool guy um but he just, he just gets so much charisma for a little toad man, and he gets gets the dog shit beat out of him by Nick Gage here. Nick Gage, who's having his first match in like twenty one months or something, like in in a significant period of time, doesn't look like he's taking a day off. Comes in, cleans house, hits um hits what was the best looking face wash I ever saw until the finals of that same tournament. And we'll talk about that one later. Um, it's a gross looking pile driver too. Just like all sorts of nasty stuff. It's, it's just a, it's a hot one sided beat down for eight minutes in front of an adoring crowd. And like, that's, that's all I want in wrestling. Uh, yeah, this was, um, I don't even think my favorite first round match that happened in terms of tournament survival. But sure. I can definitely see why I stood out um, with it being Nick's first match back and just, like, the sheer, like, brutality of, like, all right, I'm here. Fuck this new guy. All right. <laughs> um, my number 113. I don't think you saw this match, but I would recommend going out of your way to see it at some point during the year. Uh, it is Maximum versus Tribe Vanguard from Dragon Gate Final Gate. Yeah, I didn't I didn't watch Final Gate before this show. It's on my list of stuff to uh, to watch after the podcast. Um, so the maximum team, this, of, this, uh, uh, this was the trios match, right? You said mm-hmm. trying to try and okay. match. So yeah, yeah, yeah. this was, it was the, well, these were the teams of Jason Lee, Masada Yoshina, when the rookie doi versus KZ Yamato and BB Hulk. Mm-hmm. And this is some classic mm-hmm. triangle gate 
action right here. Like, it's, it's, rare, it's kind of rare that we get Triangle Gate matches these good these days, which mm. is a shame because, um, you know, they're kind of, like, they're pretty much, like, used to be the main title in the, promo- in the promotion. It's, but, uh, yeah, it's like the thing that Dragon Gate was the best at for years. Mm-hmm. And I thought the one from Kobe World last year was really good, and there's been some good ones in between, but this is the best one in a while. Um, would be higher if I had got to see it, like, before I started composing my, like, the bulk of my list. Sure. But, um, yeah, it's like a kind of star-making performance for Jason Lee here, who's been fucking phenomenal since coming to Dragon Gate. Yeah. Like, like he was good in the, he was, he was good in the Cruiserweight Classic, but he's like... I guess. I thought it was, I thought this, I thought this match was, um, with Swan was good. Was it Swan? Okay. Okay. It was like, he's like been in like, inexplicably like fucking awesome. Yeah, like, like showing tons of, tons of character, tons of like poise. Like, he didn't, he he didn't look like a, like, yeah, like, he didn't look like a guy who could carry himself in, in, I was going to say the Mayhem Classic, uh, but in, <laughs> in the Cruiserweight Classic, but like he walks right into Dragon Gate and it's perfect. It's, it's so bizarre, but I love to see it. Yeah. Um, obviously with speed muscle involved in the master, you know, there's some high speed, high octane offense that looks fucking phenomenal. Um, although down the stretch, we get Yoshino kind of getting fired up and throwing a hell of a lariat down the stretch on, um, uh, Always good. Yeah, I believe it was BB Hulk. Um, KZ was fucking awesome here. Um, another match where KZ doesn't take the fall, which is interesting because a lot of people. Yeah, that, that is interesting. A lot of people are thinking that KZ is probably getting a Dreamgate shot this year, which Hope I so. am fully on board with. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, fucking phenomenal Triangle Gate match. Uh, I understand that it, that it happened late in the year, mm. but I would recommend anybody go back and watch it if they have not seen it yet. December, surprisingly busy month. I was gonna, yeah, I was gonna ask you because like we did talk about this that like December 2017 was like stacked compared to December's of past years. Um, do you think you had any like late year bias on your list? Um, maybe for one match that I have really high, but all of the stuff that I have. I guess like what would be what would be called what would be called like late in the year like November December kind of stuff. I guess yeah. I mean yeah, there's matches on here from that time or what I saw in that window. Um, a few of them actually coming up shortly, but yeah, I don't think I got met that many of them up super highly. Maybe okay. if I had like more time to sit with them, hmm. I don't know. But there's like sometimes when I just see something, I like I know that's. I like mm. that a lot. Like my versus EO <laughs> last year from mm. December. I was like, I saw that immediately went, all right, that's top 10. Yeah. Um, so which I won 13. My one thirteen is a match I know you liked. Not totally sure it's going to make your list. It is the first Zach Gibson versus Jack Sexsmith match from Progress uh, Chapter Forty Four. No, did not make my list, but uh, really enjoyed it in mm-hmm. this match. You know. We keep saying this, we're like, Jack Sexsmith and, like, Juice Robinson are always, like, guys where it's like, oh, this is, like, the breakout match for this guy. But, like, this was the singles match where you're like, oh, my God, Jack Sexsmith is, he actually has something here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, I mean, I had enjoyed him before this in progress. Um, I did, too. I think, like, the self-specific power trip um, tables mm-hmm. match was the first match where people were like, oh, man, like, he is. Was more, it 2016? Like, yeah, that was 2016. I didn't see it, yeah. Um, it was a tables match um, against um, TK and Travis, in which, like, for some reason, a 
tag team tornado tag team table tornado match was actually really good, hmm. and that was like the first one where people started noticing Jack. But um, you can go on now. Well, it's like I've I've enjoyed him not just because of his character, but because he's just like he's an infectious sort of guy. Um, plays a really simple like underdog role, like and, and you know you know stays in his lane well. Um, I, I sort of had like mixed feelings about like the various aspects of of the gimmick, like the Mister Kako shit, um, and specifically coming as a bisexual person. Like it, like there's just there's some weirdness there for me. Um, but here he walks in with my favorite heel in the world, the best heel in the world, Zach Gibson, and has a no-nonsense match that is just so good. Like, immediately the best thing that happened in progress at that time in 2017. Um, actually felt like a match where, like, two colorful characters were, were trying to win a match as opposed to just, like, doing a whole bunch of spots. Um, real emotional thing. The crowd gets involved and, like, throws Jack back in the ring at one point to avoid a countout. But it's it's a heartbreaker, and thankfully it's only, like, the first chapter in you know multi-part series of matches. But uh, it's a heartbreaker that ends with Gibson hitting his helter-skelter, which is, a, I guess, just a jackhammer. Um it's like, a, it's, it's like a twisting brain buster. A twisting brain buster, sure. Uh, he hits that on the floor and wins by count out, and it's uh, it's real sad stuff. But it's like it's it's the first part. In it's, it's necessary. It's necessary, and it makes for a match that I have stupid high on my list. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're gonna talk. About, we're gonna talk about that on Monday. One, one that I have really high too. All right. Um, my one twelve is. Johnny Gargano versus Andrade Cien Almas from NXT Takeover Brooklyn. I didn't. I didn't get this one. You're gonna have to explain it to me. Um, obviously, this being the first match um, on a takeover for Gargano since the turn, mm-hmm. um, Gargano sort of like trying to work his way up into contention and try to get mm-hmm. over what happened to him in Chicago. And Andrade Almas, who's been on the upswing um, since something like Chicago, and I think this was something that we didn't know where this was exa- exactly going, just on paper. And then this wound up being Johnny Gargano being proven and still not be over what happened to him. So kind of having some kind of like a panic or stress um, at the even thought of Tommaso Ciampa mm-hmm. and Andrade Almas and Selena Vega um, taking advantage of it. And Selena Vega was great playing the um, manager on the outside who gets involved, um, get, gets some offense of her own. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought Andrade was really good, taking uh, shortcuts and any opportunity he could get. Andrade, whenever... Um, I think it's always like understated, like, he can throw some really damn good strikes, whether it be his forearms, yeah. his uh, chops. He can, he can throw some strikes. And Gargano is really slick and obviously... Andrade is like so. I think they just. I don't know. I think just came together really well here for me. I don't think it's like a perfect match by any means. I'm not sure it's a great match, sure. but I think this was very much setting something up. And I don't think that we really knew that when we watched this. But when you look back on it now, with the context of this is going to be the NXT title match um, in a few weeks of the Royal Rumble weekend. Oh, that's right. Yeah, like this is very much setting something up. And I think they'll have a lot to play with um, at that Royal Rumble match because of something like this. Okay. I don't know. I, just, I, I thought it was fine. It was just, I saw people going gaga over it, and I just, I didn't get it. Um, didn't that have to do with the fact that you're not as big a Gargano fan as everybody else? 
True, that's very true. And like, I don't have, I don't know. I'm not huge on Balmas either. He's great. Like, I like him, but, but I don't know. No, well, like, no. I love, the, I love the finish. I thought the like it was like some real simple stuff, and some totally. people thought it was like too WWE, which I didn't really get. <laughs> yeah. Like just like something simple as like throwing a shirt. And he like looked over for a second, and he was like, "That's all it takes." Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, you're one twelve. My 112 is another WWE match, and it's from earlier in the year. It's uh, American Alpha taking on the Wyatt family on SmackDown on January the 10th. Don't think I ever saw this. Okay, uh, you should. It's real good. <laughs> uh, real, real like a real belter of a tag title match here. Um, it's only like 10 minutes long, and for once, everybody came to play. Like, for once... Randy Orton is motivated. Bray Wyatt is motivated. Per usual, Jason Jordan and Chad Gable are motivated. And they just infuse this short little TV title match with tons of heart, tons of effort. Everyone's putting like a little extra stank on all other strikes and whatnot. Um, they're really just leaning into stuff. There's, there's a point in this where Jason's making his hot tag and he's, he's going to hit a clothesline on old Bray Wyatt and He's like stumbling. He's he's tripping over himself to hit this clothesline, and he just smacks him with it so hard. And if if Bray was like a second too late coming off the ropes or something, he'd just fall on his face. But they did it in such such the perfect way that it was. I don't know. It was it was great. Like there's so much fire in this. One of my favorite TV matches of the year. Mm. Um, it just like it's it was nice to see. It was nice to see everybody like firing on all cylinders for once. They played with a cool team dynamic because, like, uh, Jason Jordan and Chad Gable are, like, so much more established as a team, but individually, Randy or Bray can just totally swamp either one of them if they get in a one-on-one situation. And it was... I, I loved it. It was just a great little tag. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if I'll ever get around to seeing it this year. Sure. It's SmackDown. Maybe, whatever. Maybe, maybe when we do um, the 2016 oh. retrospective. <laughs> Yeah, 2017, but yeah. <laughs> um, my 111 is... Uh, excuse me, 111st. Well, excuse me. <laughs> my apologies. Um, my 111 is Toxine versus Arkali's from Luchinimus. Oh. Um, never got the date for that show. Just no happened. Um, let, me, let me look it up. Yeah. Just no happened at Luchinimus. Um... This was a match I told a lot of people to watch. I harassed uh-huh. people, said, um, I don't know what y'all are doing, but this Lucha Memes show is really good. Yeah. <laughs> like a, a lot of really good stuff happened here. And this is like the ultimate Lucha variety match. Uh, mm-hmm. Sort of with some really neat, intricate, fancy, flashy mat work, some great submissions. Um, Sold remarkably well by Toxine. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, it blew me away. Like, it, Lucha selling isn't something that I'm usually super into, but, like, it, like knocked me on my ass. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we then transition into some more hard-hitting action here. Mm-hmm. Which on the indies and in lucha you can actually expect to expect to see like plenty of these guys do hit pretty fucking hard. Yeah. Um and then I guess the final stages we get some more exciting high flying stuff. And I think it's really just show the variety that Lucha has, other than like 
having like some bloody brawl portion. Like they've hit like every single base yeah. that you could like ask for in Lucha or what you tell somebody Lucha can be. They gave you like everything. This was from uh, March the 25th for people looking for it. Mm. Um, I forget. I, I just looked at it or whatever. I'm not going back for it. Uh, I don't know what uh, venue this was, but it was this tiny little building with, with like tiered seating. Like there were people up in a balcony, like a nice intimate little venue. And somebody had a drum and it was just like drumming away on this beat <laughs> late in this match. And it was like, it was intoxicating. Like it was such a good thing. I only had it at like 154, which like belies its quality, I guess, but uh, really, really standout lucha match in a year that there wasn't a whole lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you're 111. My one eleven is a rematch. We've been talking a whole a whole bunch about first matches in a series of matches, but this is a rematch of a series of two, and it's King Justice taking on Dominic Guarini from CWF Mid Atlantic's eighties uh, night, also known as uh, Saturday Night CWF. Uh, you can go ahead because I do have some kind of like thoughts in general okay. about these matches to get off. So this was. Um, this is a rematch of a blow-away great February match that we're going to talk about a lot later. Um, continues to stay in the spirit of the first match in that it is, like, so unique, so fresh. Like, two um, two young guys who are really fresh into wrestling who have uh, martial arts experience and use it in a way in professional wrestling that I just we've never really seen before. They they come they come at like the most simple moves in such a refreshing way. Like something as simple as a drop kick is like blow away great. Um this is this is the smaller of the two matches. This one only goes about six minutes, I think, to the February matches like ten. Um but they pack a lot in there. It shows Greeny who's um Actually, the more experienced of the two, but less crafty. Uh, Greeny learning from his mistakes from the previous match, but still like fumbling with some of the pro wrestling tropes that like he's not super used to yet. Um, and eventually coming out in the win when he takes advantage of Kane Justice's uh, cockiness. And it was like even in just like a six minute little thing, like it it was so different that I couldn't not have it on my list. Um, would you call any of their matches together shoot-style matches? Uh, so this was something that got brought up um, various different places. I, I saw it most recently on the We Don't Know Wrestling forums. Um, I don't know that I'd call the shoot-style. I think there is I think there is some credence to the idea that shoot-style has a cultural history within Japan and that, truthfully, you cannot have authentic shoot style outside of it but like this is this is like the damn closest thing you're ever going to see to yuki ishikawa in like the tar heel state you know like this is this is about as close as you're ever going to see it you see i never got that watching these matches and they're good mm-hmm. i thought a lot of them were made by like kane justice's character work totally he's um, exceptional mm-hmm. um but watching this i did feel like it was kind of weird that like people are like, kind of like overlooking these sloppy exchanges of trying to interweave like sort totally. of like typical indie spots that you would kind of expect like a Kyle O'Reilly to do or something. <laughs> sure. Kind of like, just, <laughs> oh, you're uh, killing it. Killing I'm, it I'm, I'm just kind of, I'm just, I'm just thinking like these guys kind of got, uh, kind of got passes on stuff that so, like Kyle no, O'Reilly would get killed for. I think that's completely fair. Yeah. So that's why I was asking exactly where we would place it, this. It definitely, it definitely is like a sloppy match. These two are, 
less than two years in the business each by this point. Do you think that's part of the appeal that it has like this kind of like sloppy kind of danger to it? I try to hesitate saying yes, uh, this was appealing because it was sloppy. Um, but I don't know. There is something to that idea in that like, even like the way that they're bumping, it's not like the way that you're quote unquote taught to bump, right. uh, in wrestling school, but it's, it, it's, it's a more natural sort of bumping. It's the way that you'd see guys bump in a dojo when they're sparring or something. And it like, there's something appealing in that to be sure. And, and in just like a, just a, a different approach. And maybe, maybe, maybe part of that different approach was something that was less polished than what you're going to see in most wrestling. But, um, I don't know, I guess 10 years into my wrestling fandom, I just want something different. You know, just asking, you know, I guess, like, try to, like, have some kind of discussion about it, since every time I've seen somebody, people talk about this match. It's just always praise, yeah. Yeah, so I was just, like, asking here. But, um, I enjoyed the match a lot, too. Um, I enjoyed the first match more. Um, spoiler, it's yeah. not on that <laughs> list, but... Oh. But I, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> oh, killing me, going. <laughs> um... My one ten, something you might have on your list. I'm not sure. Uh, T Hawk versus Takahiro Yamamura from Dragon Gate, April seventh. I have this uh, a significant, a significant amount higher. All right, well, uh, you can go ahead then. My one ten then is a match that you might have higher. I know you definitely really enjoyed it. It was Roman Reigns defending his newly won Intercontinental Title against Jason Jordan on the December fourth episode of Raw. That'll be coming up shortly. Okay, cool. All right. My one, um, oh nine is Hiromu Takahashi versus Ryusuke Taguchi from the New Japan 45th anniversary show. Okay, I didn't see this. All right. Um, so this is in the middle of this awesome, hot Hiromu run where he comes across like the biggest star in the company. Yep. Um, or it fucked it up. <laughs> um, off of beating Kushida at Wrestle Kingdom 11, that, um, incredible match with Dragon Lee at New Beginning in Osaka. Um, and now Taguchi has stepped up to him. And the story here is Taguchi took it to Hiromu, and Hiromu did not know how to react. He didn't know mm-hmm. what to expect. He didn't expect um, Taguchi to be on his ass like this. Um, sure. Um, just working over that leg and staying on him viciously and constantly. He almost like put Hiromu in a position like be a sympathetic baby face. The way he was taking an ass kicking, um, his facial expressions are—I um, I love them, but I can see people thinking they're kind of over the top and over dramatic. Mm. But the way Taguchi was hounding him, I think they were completely warranted that he'd be panicking, in a lot of pain, not knowing how to react, didn't have uh-huh. space. Um, so yeah, I really love Taguchi performance here, um, and I thought Hiromu. And what is essentially a babyface performance um, was really good, too. You still get the nutty Hiromu Takahashi spots that you want, but they didn't come as early as you would think because Taguchi was just all over him and uh, not giving him any room to like don't do these crazy um, erratic decisions that he likes to make. Okay. One of my favorite things about this whole LIJ run is that 
these guys are coming back to this promotion, or in Sanada's case, debuting in the promotion, um, and they're radically different than they used to be. So, like, you have um, something we might touch on later, like Ibushi having his first match with Naito and being like, what the fuck? What happened to the Naito I knew in, like, 2013? Um, or Hiromu in this case, where, like, Taguchi knew him as, like, a young boy, and all of a sudden he's, like, the hotness. And it's like, whoa, where'd this come from? An evil, like, completely reinventing himself it's been it's been a really cool thing in new japan and mm-hmm. despite the fact that i have like 20 matches from them on my list there's not a whole lot of things that i call really cool in new japan these days right um what's your 109 well 109 is something you have to have it higher you gave me shit for where i had it it's zach saber versus chuck taylor from pwg's pushing forward back uh, no it's not on my list i don't think <laughs> You gave me I didn't give, so much well, shit for I this. I didn't give you shit for this. What happened was, you I, remember, I remembered your emotional reaction to that match, and I was thinking, huh, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Because you asked me where I had it, and I said it didn't make my top 100. And this was back This was back in, in the glory days when we were only doing 100. Which was only like two days ago. <laughs> Truthfully, yes. Uh, but <laughs> But you were flabbergasted. Shocked, <laughs> amazed. Yes, every I didn't have yes, this. Yes, every sudden impossible. Yes, I was, <laughs> and I said this because knowing your reaction mm. to this match, because uh-huh. I remember we both watched it for the first time, like at the same Ador- time. Adorably, we did. <laughs> yeah, somehow we watched it at the same time. I think we had watched it before we did the Kenny Omega podcast. Uh huh. Um, and you told me that you even said on the podcast, like you cried watching that match. Yeah. So I was thinking, like, because it got such an emotional reaction out of you, that it had it had to be somewhere on your list. That's why I was so confused. It is. It's on my top two hundred. It's not on the one hundred. There's there's like there's stuff in this that isn't like the cleanest in the world. And there's and there's just a whole bunch of stuff I enjoyed more. It was it was a it was a decent year for wrestling, I guess. <laughs> All right, look, this is a great match. Um, sort of yeah. like it should have been on my list, but. Uh, um, I think I, I think I took it off at some point and forgot to put it back on. Oh, so well, that's like that's like that's a mistake on my end. But it's a great match. Um, the pop win, Chuck wins is fucking. Incredible. Yeah, like, like this has this is another one of those like it's bullshit, but I believe it yeah. things. Um, in that like I think this match is a great meta narrative. Uh, in that it is so apparent that Chuck Taylor is not world champion uh caliber he's not championship material and zach is just so out of his fucking league um and it was something that was apparent in their first match in which chuck was was very nervous and applied a game plan and as soon as it failed he had he had nothing left and didn't know what to do and and got pretty handily beat um and the same things here. The same thing is happening here, where like he's coming in this, like his head's down. He's not the jovial Chuck Taylor we know and love. Um, he's he's pacing around awkwardly. He's he's trying to, he, he's trying to mat wrestle with Zach. Yeah, he's like trying futilely. Like when when his name gets announced, he like grimaces instead of like smiling like, or posing. Oh, he, he, he's totally out of his element. Um, in more ways than one. Like here's a fun fact: Chuck Taylor before this match. In the five years before this match, only had nine one-on-one singles title matches, excluding these two PWG title matches. Nine singles title matches in five years. Yeah. 
By this point in July 2017, Zach had had 19 in the year. Like, we're, we're talking about, like, not different ballparks, not different leagues. Like, these are different sports these two guys are playing. And and they run with this sort of story where, like, Chuck can't use the game plan that he used back in February because it failed. He can't out-wrestle Zach. He can't, like, just beat Zach. He, like, he's not as strong or as physical as Zach. Um, he can't use... He can't use the game plan that his partner Trent used to beat Zach in that tag match in March that we're going to talk about later. Because when it came down to a one-on-one meeting between Trent and Zach, Zach beat him. So like he's he's got nothing. He's just he's got to like like hunker down. He's got to turtle up. He's got to weather the storm and just you know look for his openings. And throughout this match, like Zach is just laying into him with chops, and and Chuck is just laughing at him, asking for more because what else is he going to do? And this, this continues, Zach just kills him. Kills him with all sorts of holds, with all sorts of strikes. Um, eventually, after Chuck keeps getting his foot on the bottom rope, uh, he forces one of the ring crew members to remove the bottom rope and then chokes Chuck with it. Um, and then <laughs> applies another hold, and, and Chuck just gets his foot on the middle rope this time. Um, and Zach is just getting increasingly frustrated. We, we talked about his temper change rooms earlier uh he's really pissed off here he just he hits chuck with a belt he low blows him he's like begging rick knox referee rick knox to disqualify him but knox won't do it it's sort of i think i think knox like verbatim says like no you just hit him with the fucking belt and the crowd and there's a moment where the pwg crowd for some reason was not making any noise Sure. So you just hear Rick Knox saying that completely perfectly, and then the pop of him saying it, like, comes in. And, like, they weren't making noise because this is, like, a weird, bullshit-laden, methodical, like, depressing sort of match. And it's not, like, it's not the typical sort of, like, PWG excitement, high spot sort of thing. Like, I don't, th- these matches were well-received by the crowd, but, like, not in the way that you think most PWG matches would they, be. They were, they were way more well-received by the VOD crowd. Totally. And it's, and it's very specifically, very obviously because of Chuck, just because he's not this sort of person. But like, through it all, Chuck survives. It's like he gets put through some thumbtacks, um, and, and survives it all. And eventually, um, eventually, Zach's got him in a, what's it called? A triangle choke. And he picks him up and power bombs yeah, that, him down. For reference, that's what Zach beat him with in their first match. Yeah, it's true. Did not, did not make a note of that. Um, but he power bombs Zach down into these thumbtacks and he hits him with like a really awkward looking, <laughs> a really like unsafe looking, uh, uh, awful waffle pile driver. Um, Zach takes pile drivers in such a way where like, I feel like he does it safely, but they, but the way his body folds because he's such a flexible, lanky yeah. dude, it just looks fucking nasty. You know how I feel about his bumping. <laughs> I know, but like you, even with the Chris, with the Chris Hero <laughs> matches, you would point out like, oh my god, like Zach yeah, died. gruesome, yeah. But but Chuck hits him with the pile driver, and he wins, and he's he's like slumped over. In in such like Zach fell in such a way with this weird looking pile driver that Chuck is like sitting on his ass and just leans back over top of him. He can't even really like apply a pinfall, can't like hook a leg or anything. And so Rick Knox counts the three and Chuck sits up a little bit 
and we're seeing this from the handy cam from like the handheld camera at ringside and they cut to the hard cam so you can get a reaction shot of the crowd and the crowd explodes um and they're all dancing for joy and, and chanting and, and screaming and whatnot and uh you <laughs> gonna choke up thinking about this jesus um they cut back to the the ringside cam and Chuck has like sat up from where he was leaning over Zach and is slumped down against the mat and he's got his face turned to the side so you can you can see him and he's just beaming and it all you see is a smile <laughs> yeah like he's just laughing at the absurdity he's that, like, like Jesus he's like Jesus fucking Christ I just won this title this is like, stupid <laughs> and, it, and it like it is stupid like so many people would call it stupid like I had friends of mine who were Legitimately angry about this. I know, like, that's about, like, what, like but Chuck's saying, like he's like, they really gave me this title. <laughs> yeah, but but like specifically for me, and this is my list. Fuck off. Uh, specifically for me, like to see my guy win this thing that like he had no business winning, and it's something that like he had truthfully worked for for so long. To to see that like finally happen was just was great. And it, it, it overcomes like any any of the numerous problems this match has. Like it's just it's a nice it's a nice emotional payoff and that's what I watch wrestling for. And other than like Chuck Taylor just being somebody that everybody wants to see like, you know, succeed and have that moment. Uh-huh. He's sort of the last relic of that old PWG era. Uh-huh. He's the only he's like the last guy left. Um, you could argue like someone like Sammy Callahan, but Sammy Callahan was away for a while, obviously sure. due to being signed. Um, Brian Cage, somewhat, but Chuck Taylor really was like the last guy standing. And so to mm-hmm. see him kind of like have this year-long, maybe longer build of him inexplicably winning matches, and then we actually get to the point where he is in title contention in the main feud in PWG, the most one of the most heated series of matches probably in PWG history, I would say. Uh-huh. And he gets to have this moment in the sun. I said it on the Wrestles of the Year podcast that this was Chuck Taylor's gold watch year. And like, he deserved it. Like he earned it. He, even if like he wasn't going to have an actual reign, which I think everybody going into that match, like kind of like knew he wouldn't have totally but, like he deserved that moment. Yeah. And it felt great. Like it, it, it just, it really felt great. Um, but yeah, other than like my mistake on my end, deleting it and never putting it back would be higher on my list, but I just fucked up. But see, this is why I wanted, this is why I wanted you, wanted you to talk about it because mm-hmm. see where we are now. Yeah. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Hey, pro wrestling announcer Kevin Kelly here. I want to make sure you are all subscribed to all the great feeds here at Place to Be Nation. It's really easy to do. Just head to iTunes or your preferred podcatcher app today and search and subscribe to the Place to Be Nation wrestling feed, which, of course, includes the full archives of the Kevin Kelly Show, the Place to Be Nation pod feed, and the pro wrestling only feed. Subscribe, listen, and then rate us and leave feedback today. And be sure to give Justin your true thoughts. I mean, don't hold back. After all, he is kind of a jerk. Just listen to Scott. 
Playstation Nation's JT Rizzero and Chad Campbell here. We want to let you know that we have a ton of great podcasts available to you on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and PlayStation.com, and we offer those to you on three great feeds. On the Place to Be Nation wrestling feed, we bring you the Mothership, the original Place to Be podcast, as well as main event to Lucha Afterground and our monthly pay-per-view reaction shows, as well as the Our Vantage Point podcast and Jeff Learns Wrestling. In addition to these full-length shows, we also deliver quick-hit pod blasts on topics old and new. Over on the Pro Wrestling Only feed, we dive deep inside the wrestling business with a stacked army of experts leading the way. The feed features potpourri shows such as This Week in Wrestling, Greetings from Allentown, Psychology is Dead, Puro Puri, Stacy and Elliot's Bogus Journey, and the Military Industrial Suplex. We also have shows that focus intently on certain topics like Letters from Center Stage, Space City, and NWA Classics on Demand Adventure, Through the Years, Strong Style History, Strong Style Story, and Mount Olympus. Plus, the feed has the full archives of legendary shows like Titans of Wrestling, Where the Big Boys Play, Letters from Kayfabe, and much more. And on our popular Place to Be Nation Pop podcast feed, we offer such great shows as the Glenn Butler Podcast Hour Spectacular, Rank and File, PTBN Dadcast, Go Home in a Box, NBA Team, and Lucha Undead, as well as a vertical podcast heaven for comics fans with the hard-traveling fanboys, Sellers Points, Todd Weber's Conversation, Geek and Sassy, and Imaginary Stories Podcast. You can find all of these current shows plus archives of our past podcasts, including the Kevin Kelly Show, as well by subscribing to all of our feeds on iTunes. And while there, be sure to rate and leave feedback as well. All of these shows plus others available on PlaceMination.com, where we cover pro wrestling, sports, movies, comics, plus in-depth stretch projects and more. Be sure to support our site by using PlaceMination.com backslash Amazon when shopping online and download our free PTB Vintage Vault Refresh eBooks via the links on our site. We also want to thank our friends at Bonehead's Wing Bar and Westworld. Rhode Island and Fall River, Massachusetts, thehistoryofwrestling.com, and Scott Keats' blog of doom. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr as well. PlaceFamination.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Um, my 108 is Roman Reigns versus Jason Jordan from oh, uh, cool, cool, cool. December 4th. Let me scroll back up to this. You want to talk about it? All right. So, I didn't watch a lot of WWE TV this year. Mm-hmm. Um, the least WWE I've watched since like God, wow. Like one of those real bad twenty ten kind of years. Sure. Um but Jason Jordan has always been one of my favorite guys to watch. This is going back to FCW, NXC, even the even the first SmackDown run, I've always adored Jason Jordan and Roman Reigns is obviously great. So I think they had, I think they had a TV match earlier in the year, like September or something too. Yep. It was pretty good. Right. So I didn't get to see that. So I only saw this match. Um, and this was following this, this segment of Jason Jordan saying he wants to challenge Roman and Kurt Angle telling him he's not medically cleared. He shouldn't do it. Um, Samoa Joe coming out and him getting involved, Roman coming out, obviously. And Jason Jordan getting fed up with being dismissed as this kid, which is something I pointed out to you like a couple of weeks ago that like Jordan's been wrestling just as long, if not longer, than Roman Reigns. Yes. And Roman Reigns, is, Roman Reigns is a couple of years older. Yeah. So that's and like I get it. And like the whole idea of main roster is a different world, different character. Like I get it. Well, but, it, Jordan's just also got a baby face. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. So like that's why I was like. 
looking at it as someone that was following developmental for so long, they're like, this is fucking weird. But um, It is strange. But, uh, yeah. Jason Jordan gets fed up with the disrespect, and he belly-to-bellies the hell out of Roman Reigns. And this leads into this match, and Roman Reigns is just beating the absolute shit out of him mm-hmm. for most of this match. Mm-hmm. Um, Long match, too. Like, yeah. something... Something stupid, like the third longest TV match of the year. Yeah, it was it was real long, mm-hmm. like thirty minutes. Um, but I think they used that time very Super well. well. Um, mm-hmm. Jason Jordan, Jason Jordan finding openings. Um, these two, like, not like massive dudes, but they're both strong as fuck. And yeah, Jason Jordan just running Roman Reigns from corner to corner, just because he can, just to show off. Um, Roman Reigns in, uh, I guess, like, his offense always was great. And Jason, it was a real matchup of explosive guys. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what made this stand out so much. Um, Jason Jordan doesn't really even really get close, honestly, for, for as long as this match goes. Because yeah. once Roman Reigns decides he wants to hit that spear, like, it's over. It's over. Yeah, it's over. But it was a great match. Um, best Roman Reigns match I've best Roman Reigns match I've seen since the Styles matches last year. Huh, really? Yeah. I mean, like again, I, I like the Braun stuff, but I didn't sure. love it. So this was like the best thing he's done since then for me. But um, yeah, my favorite TV match of the year, my favorite Roman match, um, just AJ stuff, all around great stuff. I I really enjoyed this. Like you only had it like two spots higher than me. Yeah. Um. Uh, you, 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 what is the word I'm looking for? You, you just glanced over like a, a fairly important note to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you talked about how the fact that Jordan wasn't medically cleared. He comes into this match with a bad wheel. He's got mm-hmm. his, his knee all taped up and it becomes a focal point of the match. Yeah. Because during their, um, during their second commercial break, uh, I think Jordan does a suplex over the ropes and Roman drags him down with him, and Jordan comes down on the apron on his leg yeah. in a real weird way and tweaks his knee. And so they come back from commercial, and Roman's got this um, this half crab on, and the crowd is going bananas. And uh, eventually Jordan gets the ropes or reverses the move or whatever, and they do a bunch of spots. And it's not until like 90 seconds into the show again that they show you a replay of what happened during the commercial break. Mm-hmm. Um, so the whole time I was like, this is weird. Where is this coming from? Um, and that sort of disconnect, like prevented this from being a great match for me because like as awesome as the finishing stretch is, where they do one of your favorite things, which is a, a bridging suplex, a uh, bridging German suplex, uh, with the knee in the air because oh, yeah, you can't, by the way, you can't except, put your leg down. Except for all the wrestlers that for some reason want to listen to this podcast. If Travis you, Banks, <laughs> if you want to bridge, if you if you've been selling your leg the entire match and you do a German suplex and you lift your leg up, I will probably give that match four stars. <laughs> I love it. I love I call, I, I, love, I call that I call it the Hoshi Cow rule. It's great. Um but like as great as that finishing stretch is, it's like there's sort of a disconnect for me because of the way that, that um commercial break was handled, though I do recognize that it like it totally kicks the match up into the next gear. Mm-hmm. Uh and it's I don't know, I could see it I could see it either way and it just hit me one particular way. But it's it's really good match. Alright. So my one oh seven is Oh I uh we didn't talk about my one oh eight though. Oh, oh, oh I, I, forgot, uh, I yeah for some reason I thought we had it at the same spot, but go ahead. No no no. Uh 
we're going to talk about it later, though. I'm almost certain you have it higher. It's uh, Kazuchika Okada versus Minoru Suzuki from the G1 Climax. The A uh, little bit higher. Okay. By a little bit, I mean, like, Monday higher. But, yeah. Um, my 107 is Konosuke Takashida versus Danshoku Dino from DDT October 23rd. I didn't get to end up seeing this. DDT... D- I don't know. There's something about DDT... And it's related to, like, my greater exhaustion with, like, the Japanese main event style. Something about DDT either, like, totally blows me away or just bores me to tears. Right. And I don't know. I didn't get to see enough of it. Uh, I wish I did. But tell me about it. Um, whenever Don Shokudino gets his title match, um, like, against, like he had against Shuji Ichikawa last year that I had absurdly high. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think he delivers. I think he delivers his kind of, like... Um, different intent of his offense as opposed to like where he's going to be um, doing the kissing and everything else like for comedy purposes because it's meant to be funny uh, I think in a title match setting he changes it to where it is somewhat viable offense which is sure. extremely crazy to say but um, Takashita because he used this stoic kind of guy in this crazy wacky world of DDT mm. um I think it makes for an interesting matchup. Um, the funny thing is, Takashita kind of indulges in the craziness, and by the time we get to the closing stretch, um, Takashita reve- reveals a, a swimsuit he's wearing underneath. You know, kind of the kind of one you wear when you're like doing um, bodybuilding competitions and all that. Masaka. <laughs> right. So, I really like the action here. Um, I thought the contrast and personality is what, made, is what made it great. And then the finish of Takashita revealing that he can get down with the crazy silly DDT stuff. I was scared where you were going to that sentence. <laughs> get down with that. No, no. <laughs> I was like, uh. No. no. <laughs> he, can, um, he can indulge in the silly DDT stuff, too, if he, when he wants to. Hmm. Um, I thought it was just a really fun match. Okay. I, I need to see it. I really, I really should. Uh, that was your uh, 107, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay, my 107 is something I'm not sure that you even saw. Uh, it was uh, Simi Callahan defending the AAW title against Congo Kong. I never got around to seeing it. Okay. This is a um, this is a problematic match. Hmm. <laughs> this is a match that would offend some people. Really? <laughs> Rightfully so. Um, I'm well, going gonna, gonna to need a walkthrough. Well, it's Sammy Callahan, for one. All right. We're, we're already we're strike one. <laughs> All the baggage in the world. This gross guy just in and out of the ring, and especially in AEW where he's booking himself to be, like, an absurd caricature of, of his real-life persona. Sort of gross, but sort of appealing in a different way. We'll talk about it at greater at greater length later. Um and he's facing off against Congo Kong, for those of you who aren't aware. Giant black man doing a Savage from the Jungles gimmick uh, in the year of our Lord 2017. And um, it's like... On paper, it doesn't sound like it'll work, but it, it does. They just hit each other a bunch, and it's fast-paced, and it's it's like it's fun in some way to see this shitty little self-important mousetrap of a champion like bounce off the side of the massive Congo Kong. Um, and there's like all sorts of bullshit. Like there's run-ins from I think multiple stables. There's stable infighting. There's managers fighting against each other. There's powder throwing. There's weapons, and it's like it's 
like in the in the truest sense of the term, this is a 1985 Abdullah the Butcher match. And like, if you can stomach that sort of thing, I think there is some appeal here. Um, Congo Kong kicks out at three on the finish. Like it's it's as unprofessional as it could get, but it's it was just like a little roller coaster ride of a match. Um, awesome little slugfest with just I don't know if you like to see if you like to see the seedier the seedier parts of independent wrestling. Like this this has a real appeal. Yeah, I didn't really love Callahan's title reign. Yeah, um, well, like, for good reason. There's like a lot of stuff going on there. Um, of, like he lost the belt in between this and then got it right back. It's like, but like, I do kind of always one reign pretty much. But um, yeah, wasn't really a fan of his stranglehold on the title. Yeah, but um, I guess we'll get into that later because I believe you have at least one match very high from that reign. Not very, but yeah, we'll talk about it later. All right. Um, you just mentioned AW. But my 106 is Fred Yehai versus Shane Strickland from AW uh, Unstoppable. I saw this and it just it didn't hit me the way that I think it hit you. So why don't you tell me about it? Um, as someone that really enjoyed Shane Strickland in 2016. Um, oh, okay, in 2016, sure. <laughs> yeah, and then someone that was kind of like disappointed by his output in 2017. Um, this was the Shane Strickland performance I was waiting for. The one I thought he was capable of having. Uh-huh. Um, oddly enough. He has well, he has he has another one of these kind of performances um, in the Jordan Devlin match that I know that you didn't watch or probably wouldn't watch anyway. I might but, have watched. I don't think I did. Yeah, but um, and this is Fred Yehai's debut in AEW, and because Fred Yehai is a guy um, where what he does is so unique and mm-hmm. smart and sometimes intricate that you forget that Fred Yehai is very charismatic, um, over the top has great looking high impact offense uh-huh. and can like, you know, resonate with a large portion of the crowd too through that stuff. So what we have here is Shane Strickland trying to keep up with Fred Yehai's creativity, limb targeting, um aggressive um arm work and everything like that. Uh, but he does keep it in his like kind of indie ish way, obviously. Uh, Shane Strickland does have great stuff, like a sort of a go to sleep kind of move to mm-hmm. an arm, to his arm, a rolling elbow to an arm. Uh, Fred Yehai, typical stomping and throws and uh, things like that. But I think they just mesh really well. I think Fred Yehai is a great base for flying guys. Totally. Um, so Shane Strickland, whenever he does want to speed it up, it's not like Fred Yehai can't keep up. Uh, so yeah, great match. One that is like sort of typical for Fred Yehai. I get it. But for someone that was sort of disappointed by Shane Strickland's output in 2017, mm-hmm. I left us thinking, damn, like, why couldn't you have been doing this the entire year? Yeah. That uh, was your uh, 107, correct? 106. Okay. So my 106 is, uh, I think it was the first match that I watched from uh, 2017. It was a Sami Zayn taking on Braun Strowman mm. in a last man standing match. All right, I really like this, but didn't make my list, so talk okay. about it. Um, two guys I really like, like Sami Zayn is legitimately top five wrestler for me ever, um, and I've really come to enjoy Braun Strowman over the last couple of uh, months, year, I guess. Um, and this was one of the first times that I really got to see Strowman stretch his legs in a character, um, as opposed to just like in a physical sort of setting. And... Uh, he did it against one of my favorite guys, 
and a guy who is exceptionally good at bumping and selling for a larger human being. And they did it in a last man standing setting, one of my favorite stipulations. And it was just tons of fun. Um, at one point, uh, Sammy pulls out like a big lead pipe and he like swings it at Strowman and Strowman after he gets hit by it once puts up his dukes instead of <laughs> you know, it's just this wonderful character moment of like this giant who isn't used to getting hurt like this and doesn't necessarily know how to protect himself. So he, so he does it in like in a boxing sort of setting. It is, I don't know. It was, I loved it. Like it, it, it illustrated so much about who Braun Strowman is to me in that moment. I really enjoyed it. Uh, this match contained the best cut, the best edit in WWE history. <laughs> um, that sees, I think they're standing on the floor. Strowman tosses Zane like onto the entrance ramp and like rolling down it towards the ring. And they cut it at such a way between two cameramen who are exceptionally well placed that like, <laughs> this was in Tampa, Florida. It makes it look like Braun Strowman threw Sammy over the fucking Gulf of Mexico into Alabama. <laughs> like it was, it was like across the world. It was incredible stuff. Um, this ends with. I think Strowman hits like a power slam and Sammy nearly gets counted down but makes it up and then um, Strowman like buries a couple of knees into his head and this was like part of an overarching story between Sammy and McFoley that was sort of interesting and uh, I, I really enjoyed it. It kicked off the year in a great way. It was an interesting match between two guys I love and uh, it, was, it was real good stuff. I enjoyed it a lot. Funny enough, I don't I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not, I don't remember how early in the in the month this happened, but I don't think this was my favorite Sami Zayn TV match of that month. If really? That, if that Seth Rollins match was um, during oh, I didn't. <laughs> I did not willingly watch a Seth Rollins match, so yeah, I don't know I, about that. I, I, that was a really solid match. Not, you might like it. It wasn't terrible. Yeah, I'll, I'll check it out maybe. Um, all right, my one to five. A match I'm almost certain you have higher. David Starr versus Joey Janela from Beyond Wrestling, Peyton Paul. Yes, I have this significantly higher. Um, Next up at 105, I've got a match I'm not sure you even saw. It was Gunnar Miller versus Matt Riddle from the second round of the Scenic City Invitational. Oh, I did see it. It did make my list. Okay. Um, So... Like, obviously, for anyone who's who's seen this or even heard any of the discourse around it, this is this is Goldberg versus Brock Lesnar reimagined as a Southern fried slobber knocker in a in a, in a little high school gym outside of Chattanooga. Um, and there's something like I don't know. There's there, I think there's something to be said about the negative qualities of a match that is so obviously derivative, but. God damn it, this match was so much fun to watch. And even if it was, like, clearly trying to ape off of something successful from a couple of months before, it was done in a really, really good way that just really impressed me. Yeah, I really enjoyed this match, too. Um, Go- the original Goldberg Lesnar did not make my list. Really? Know? Okay. So, like, it just, like, neither of those matches, so I guess... Set out enough for me to make my list, but what, I, was, I still really enjoyed them. Was it just the length? Like, what's what's going on there? No, not the length because I have a match that is literally seven seconds. That's right, you list. do. <laughs> so, but that is for um, I guess mon- the Monday episode. What? It's that high? Yeah. 
Quinn, that is absurd. <laughs> like, I'm judging you right now. I don't, I don't, right I don't now. want to hear anything from you. <laughs> All right, whatever. <laughs> uh, I'll talk about my number 104 next. It is uh, Keith Lee taking on David Starr from Evolve 83. Oh, I didn't think you ever even watched this. Uh, it was a late, late in the year. I watched this, like, it was probably one of the last 20 matches that I watched. Yeah. Um, really good, though. Like, I love these two guys. And uh, this was a match where, like... Um, I thought this was David Starr's Evolve debut, but it wasn't. He had uh, debuted the previous year at Evolve Nice against Ethan Page in a, what I assume was a shitty little match. Um, I like, uh, actually, I remember that match being pretty good. Whatever. Like cr- no, I'm just telling you like the reaction. Like, people okay. really like that match. <laughs> I'll, have to, I'll have to check it out. Um, but Starr shows up here and is like clearly trying to make an impact and this is hardly keith's first match in evolve but this was like the first time that i thought that he was really hitting his stride in a match that he would go on to win and so it's sort of like an important um important match for setting the tone for who he's going to be in evolve and clearly he was going to be a big deal uh and it's like it's just quality stuff like david Starr is so good at wrestling bigger men he obviously takes things from his matches against Walter, uh, most notably a uh, a backdrop into the corner that is still nutty every time I see it. Um, but he he changes it up and like this isn't this isn't like paint by numbers a Star versus Walter match. This is uniquely David Star versus Keith Lee. Uh, Keith is as charismatic as ever here, uh, just like throwing Star across the galaxy and and giving you a little wink and a nod afterwards. And it was it was just really good. These guys hitting each other a bunch, doing it in front of a, a hot little crowd. And for a long time, this was like the last good Evolve match uh, for 2017. All right, my 104 is a match I'm not sure you saw, but Kyle O'Reilly versus Speedball Mike Bailey from Luck Culture um, Pro Wrestling Canadian Qualifiers. I totally watched that show. I don't think I watched that match, no. Yeah, this was the main event. Um, okay. Other than it just being a matchup between two of the biggest stars to come out of uh, Canada in the last few years of mm-hmm. wrestling, uh, there's, there's, there was some story going on with it, with Kyle O'Reilly facing Tyson Dukes earlier in the match. And, I mean, earlier, earlier in the night, excuse me. Long and, match. <laughs> uh, and it was good, but the main thing was Kyle O'Reilly came in nursing an injury. Mm-hmm. And here we see Kyle O'Reilly and Speedball going at it, but we get to see a different side of Speedball kind of taking advantage of an injury. Ooh. Going after it, kind of targeting it way more than you would think he would. Okay. And Kyle O'Reilly... Still being, you know, um, sort of like this, like surgical smart wrestler. He want, when he wants to hone in on something, he'll take that limb and he'll target it the whole match. Mm-hmm. So he tries to go after Speedball's leg. Um, doesn't really exactly work out for him in the end because Speedball wins. But um, like a match that I have later on my list, I would describe it as kind of like this, like classic ROH dual limb targeting kind of feel. Oh, yeah, okay. And uh, it's a surprisingly hot crowd. It's smart work. Um, it's exciting. Um, mm-hmm. Speedball can keep up with Kyle Riley on the mat, which is something you would not expect. Um, in general, Speedball, I think, showed this year that he can do a lot of really solid mat wrestling. It's just because his base is Taekwondo. You just don't really yeah, see, don't it, see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Great stuff. I enjoyed the hell out of this. I think if it happened in any other promotion uh-huh. in the UK, in like a Rev Pro and a Progress, um, 
maybe even a Fight Club Pro, this would be getting way more praise. But because yeah. it happened in what culture and what culture has the stigma around it, um, it just kind of got forgotten. But it's a fucking fantastic match, and I think people, some more people should probably watch it. Mm, okay. Uh, so that was your 104, correct? Mm-hmm. All right, so my 103 is uh, another WWE match from January. It is uh, something I think was the best sports entertainment match of the year. It's uh, The Miz versus Dean Ambrose from the January 3rd episode of SmackDown. See, I think I saw this match, and it was good. But out of like the Dean Ambrose versus Miz matches that I saw this year, I had a different one like as my favorite. Did you have it on your list? No, it's not on my, it's not on my list. My favorite okay. one was the um, the Extreme Rules one. The Extreme Rules match I had really which, good, which, I, which, I, which, I, which a lot of people thought was like weirdly long, and I was like, I don't know, like that felt good that the opener was that long and they got that much time. I don't remember it being long, but re- regardless, um, this was just uh, a real bonkers little TV title match. Um, two guys who. Two guys who I think know how to do sports entertainment wrestling really well and really put a lot into it here. Um, a whole bunch of shenanigans, a whole bunch of like Maurice interference, a whole bunch of like the referee trying to throw out the match and someone's like, no, don't do it, or trying to throw somebody out. Um, a whole bunch of just <laughs> like goofy spots like, um, like Miz doing the, uh, the Brian Danielson kick gimmick and Dino ducks one of the kicks, but Miz catches him on the rebound and it knocks Dean into the rope so he can do the rebound lariat. And they both, they both like flipped with the move to the point that it, it was almost like a Spanish fly, but it was just like a really good clothesline. And I just went nuts for it. Like it was, I don't know, man. They were, they were like hitting all my buttons. It was just a stupid and fun and terribly enjoyable match. All right. My 103 is CCK versus Aussie Open from Attack Pro Wrestling, the Neon Wrist Block. Okay, so I watched this, but it didn't make my list. Right. Um, this match, if you know the context of it, um, really gets added to um, but like the story of the fact that Aussie Open did not know they were going to win the titles. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, so... When you see the referee count three and you see the reactions that Kyle Fletcher and Mark Davis have, those are 100% what the fuck were the tag team champions we just got here. Best boys. Um, But uh, these two teams have faced off quite a bit, obviously, with Fletcher and Davis being part of that Fight Club Pro attack family. Um, So they're very familiar with each other. So that kind of leads to, like, you know, great exchanges, um, great um, sequences. the Mark Davis and Kid Lycos interactions are fucking incredible. Uh-huh. If those two have a singles match at some point in the year, I love um, it. Probably go gaga over that. Um, Chris Brooks and um, Fletcher interactions being the two tallest members of their teams. <laughs> <laughs> so like, there's a lot going on. I like the Mark Davis um, hot tag. Uh, it's a lot of great action, and it's really just added to by the fact that these two guys from Australia who did not know each other that well before coming over. Which is amazing to me. God. Yes, a lot of people assume that they were like best buds and then they came yeah. together. Because they, they mesh together so well. Mm-hmm. It just so happens that they were two Australian wrestlers who came to the Fight Club Pro School at the same time. And they haven't been tagging long, right? Um, No, it'll... They started, I think they started tagging in like maybe like May or June. May or June of 2017? Yeah. 
after after facing each other a few times. Like fucking shit, dude. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. They're a fucking incredible tag team for as long as they've been together. Um but yeah, it's really it's really had to see by the fact that it was a surprise title change and it's a feel good moment that uh-huh. attack like these guys enough to be like, okay, we can give these guys these tag titles and not feel weird about it because they've earned it. The crowd yeah. is super into them and they can carry the workload. So yeah, I really enjoyed this. Okay, so my 102, in contrast to your Brit Ress, I challenge you some Southern wrestling. <laughs> it is uh, Smith Garrett versus C.W. Anderson from CWF Mid-Atlantic's uh, Absolute Justice 2017. People keep saying C.W. Anderson had like a really good year, and like I haven't watched too much CWF, so I can't speak to it, but that feels like it's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, it's funny you say that because, like, I never got C.W. Anderson. I still like, don't. <laughs> like, anytime I'd ever see him, um, probably most often in ROH, but, like, in ECW, too, you know, like, just around. Anytime I'd see him, I'd be like, I don't I don't see the appeal. Like, he throws some good punches, sure, but, like, a hundred guys do that in wrestling, and, like, a hundred guys do him better. And, like, I just, I didn't, I didn't see how this, like, pudgy, balding dude was this, like, cerebral killer or, like, this just... I don't know. But this match made me get it. Like, I finally... Like, it clicked mm-hmm. with me. Uh, no surprise that it's with my man, Smith Garrett. Best wrestler um, in the world. Best wrestler in the world. Confirmed Move over. Confirmed. Shinya Hashimoto. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just an awesome little slugfest. Smith Garrett occupies this space that is, <laughs> like, one of my favorite archetypes in wrestling. That's this like ball guy. <laughs> Shut up! It's, it's like this 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 like working class dude who's got like calluses on his hands and he comes home with a redneck every night and so, so every every time he is every single example of this person they do happen to be bald. I don't know why that is. I'm just saying <laughs> it's it's Stone Cold Steve Austin, one of my favorite wrestlers ever, Rampage Brown, and now Smith Garrett. Like just I love these sorts of guys, and he 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 fits in so well here against C W Anderson is this like two-year rookie who's got a ton of heart and can throw a mean right hand, but like pales in comparison to this dude who has like 20 years of experience on him. And um, the gimmick here is that if Garrett wins, he gets a shot at at CW's PWI Ultra J title. Is that what it is? It's one of those. No, it's it's like the PWI... But the Ultra J is the junior title. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's Chet's belt. Um, But he gets a shot at the PWI title and it's like far and away the biggest match of Smith Garrett's career. And he like really puts us all into this one. Um, and I heard, I heard like people who were CW Anderson fans that were like, this was one of his best performances in a long time. And he's like, he's crafty. He's sneaky. He's shitty. He's like really mean here. Just like doing everything he can to like dismantle this rookie's arm and put the hurting to him. There's all sorts of like fun, like dancey, but still structured in a way that I enjoy. Um, high spot sequences. Uh, Rick Converse, who sort of set up this match in a roundabout way, gets involved because he's feuding with CW Anderson. And it's just, I really enjoyed it. Like it was, it was a match that like I didn't expect I would enjoy at all, despite the fact that it was like my guy in here. Um, and I came away like with a newfound interest in someone who I had never understood before. 
Yeah, I saw yeah, I saw the match. I liked it. But again, like the CW Anderson thing, still sure. it's like still I don't get it. I hear I do, you. <laughs> I do, I do, but I do love Steph Garrett, and yeah. I do love like like all the stories that he has going into his matches. So mm-hmm. yeah, this was solid stuff. Um, all right, my one hundred and two is Tyler Bate versus Travis Banks from the Progress Wrestling Super Strong Style Sixteen Finals. I did not have this. Um, I get why. Sure. I totally get why. Um, there's a lot going on. I don't, I don't here. remember. I don't remember this one so well. Right. But um, if someone even said this, they didn't like this match or it was a bad match, I get it. There's a lot going on here. It's a lot of kind of like WWE style dramatics. I would I would say um, goes pretty fucking long after mm. like all having these long shows to begin with. Yeah. But as someone that does watch a lot of um, British wrestling. And you know that, and if you know the history of Tyler Bate and Travis Banks, mm-hmm. um, Travis Tyler Bate was Travis Banks' rival, sort of big obstacle in Fight Club Pro. He couldn't beat this guy; always lost to him. On top of just losing to everybody in that company in general. Um. So when Travis Banks finally is on his way to winning the Infinity Cup in Fight Club Pro, he pins Tyler Bate. In one of the in one of the four way matches on the show to go mm-hmm. to the final, you know, getting over that last obstacle before going to the final. Now Tyler Bate is his last obstacle here, and knowing each other so well, they obviously have some great chemistry, great sequences, great action. Um, athletically, they match up really well with Travis Banks, sort of having like this dangerous, high pace quality to him. But Tyler Bate having the all around skill set, the power, the speed, the just being just being like a fucking prodigy. Yeah, he has all that going for him. Who so Travis Banks relies on a lot of heart, and some people that heart can come across as authentic because the commentary mm-hmm. team won't <laughs> let it be authentic. Yeah, but um, I don't know. I was able to get past it for this match. Um, there is interference from British Strong Style from a CCK that had just debuted um, at, a, at the chapter show before this. Um, so their retur- so their surprise, um, uh, I guess, return so to speak, was very welcome to go up there and help Travis Banks. And it was the first time they acknowledged that um, CCK was Brooks, Lycos, and Banks, and not just Brooks and Lycos. Yeah. So real feel good moment. Uh, one of the first signs that British Strong Style probably wouldn't be too long as like a heel unit because after they go after um Travis Banks wins the match, Tyler Bate is kind of just on the stage, looks back and kind of like gives a thumbs up before going away. So it's a good match. I like the action of it. I can see mm-hmm. some people saying it's too long. Some people saying uh you know it's just not that engaging. Then the first took him out of it. There's a lot I can see having a problem with, but for me, it just came together and I really enjoyed seeing Travis Banks get that moment. Okay. Okay. Um, my number one Oh one is a match. I don't think you're going to have, and it's probably something that's a little, um, the cause for some controversy based on where I have it, but it's the, uh, SummerSlam main event of, uh, Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns versus Braun Strowman versus Samoa Joe. You're not on my list. Okay. Um, certainly not a perfect match. Uh, I'm not one of those people who's like calling for Lesnar's blood or anything, but this is where he <laughs> f- first really starts to show that like he's, he's 
uh, losing it to some degree. Um, and I, I think Roman and Joe don't necessarily do a whole lot here. Uh, at least in comparison to Braun Strowman, who has a... This is a Braun show. Yeah, totally. He is an exceptionally good knight. Um, But, like, between the four of them, there's more than enough horsepower Mm -hmm. to, like, drag this to a really enjoyable level of just four big dudes, four... um, Not four monsters, but, like, three monsters and a Superman, like, battling it out, throwing each other all around, tossing uh, tossing each other through tables, doing all sorts of shit. Um, You get a whole bunch of Lesnar being vulnerable, which is, like, my favorite thing in the world. And it's... It's just a fun match. Really fun. I didn't, I, like it, the worst parts of it, I think, drag it down to the, the point that it's, it doesn't make my top 100, but it's, it's real good. Um, this is like a really, really good, um, Marvel movie for a lot of people, I guess. Sure. That might be the equivalent <laughs> of it. That is a good way to put it. For me, like, um, the first few minutes are really fun. Like, absurdly fun. Yeah. But, I think the problem with it and something that I just have a problem, I've had a problem with in, with Brock's matches, um, uh-huh. in general in 2017 is that after a really good first two minutes or so, first three, or even in this case, for this case, like maybe first 10 yeah. are all really good. They just teeter off rather quickly. This one was because of the stretcher job, which I'm just tired of when it comes to Brock Lesnar. Like, sure. You can, you can find other ways to hide them other than doing a stretcher job. Like figure some figure something else out. You don't need to keep doing this, but um, yeah, it was fun. But the Brock Lesnar stretcher job, um, and the action following it, I don't think were that good. Mm-hmm. The period where Brock is out, I think doesn't really help anything either. Yeah, like this isn't. I wouldn't say this is the best match for any of these four men mm-hmm. in 2017. Um, I do like the fact that they kind of like repeat the WrestleMania 31 sequence, uh-huh. which is a cool touch. Super cool. Um. But yeah, uh, there's a lot wrong with this match for me. And even then, I don't think like the first few minutes that people are like going gaga for hit me the same way it hit other people. Totally, totally. All right. So my number one on one, you might have this match higher. I don't know how you feel about these two together, but it's Keith Lee versus Donovan Dijak from Evolve 81. <laughs> uh, no, none of their matches from 2017 made my list. Alright, um, this is the one that got most people talking, sure. other than the PWG match, which, well, yeah, yeah, I was like, I don't know, this didn't get five stars. <laughs> Here's the thing, like, to me, like, if you watch indie wrestling, like, you already knew about these guys after this match. Yeah, Like, if it's like, right. like, it's not my fault that Dave Meltzer, like, hadn't really seen Keith Lee or Dijak like that before. <sighs> yeah. So... But I do, I do think this is kind of like their defining match, even if sure. I don't think it's their best one. And stole the show over Mini Weekend on on a weekend where I thought there were a lot of really good matches. Mm-hmm. I thought this was like probably the defining one for both guys that weekend. Um, I know you like the Ricochet Keith Lee match a lot. Mm-hmm. So we'll talk about that yeah. way later. Yeah, yeah. So I know you'll have that. But um, great action. Uh, people really buying into all of this. Uh, all these near falls and uh, these big guys doing insanely athletic things and, n- and not looking necessarily sloppy either. It looks pretty crisp for the most part. Yeah. Um, I think Heath Lee finally hits finally hits one of those moonsaults, uh, 
Which is definitely, I don't remember. Yeah, he, I think he actually hits a moonsault on Dijak. Okay. Which, if you watch Keith Lee matches, whenever he goes for a moonsault, he never hits it. Yeah. So I thought that was really neat. Uh, and Keith Lee won, which was, you know, the right decision there, obviously. Um, as opposed to him, like, losing the Nate day before to Ricochet. <laughs> yeah, don't tell Gabe that. <laughs> but yeah. I really enjoyed this match. So for some people, it might even might even be like a top ten contender because it was sure, like that yeah. exciting, action filled kind of match that somebody might just adore. It but, was like super short too, wasn't it? It was like twelve minutes, maybe. Yeah, it wasn't that long. Like a good good use of time, yeah. And to me, I might say the last good Keith Lee versus Donovan Dijak match I've seen because mm. I didn't like their following match in Evolve, and I didn't like the PWG match. Did you see their AEW one? I didn't see their AEW match, and I didn't see their new one. Not good. All right. Um, all right. You're 100. Now that we're in the 100 proper. <laughs> Finally, we can start the podcast. <laughs> this is all the pre-show. Yeah, we're, we're, the- be, we're beyond wrestling now. <laughs> Don't. I'm co-opted, remember? <laughs> Don't put me in this situation. Um, hey, Drew, my number on. 100 is... A match. I'm. I don't. I don't know that you'll have it higher. I know it's a match you enjoyed, um, and it's a match that I wish I could put higher, but I, I just can't force myself to do it. It's a uh, John Skyler versus Corey Hollis in the unsanctioned match from PWX Unsanctioned. Yeah, I do have it higher. Okay, we'll talk about it later then. Uh, you're 100. My 100. Something that you probably have higher. Uh, Fred, you have versus Jonathan Gresham from Noah. I mean, Nova Pro, the great, the great Grabsby. Yeah, I have this way higher. All right. My 99, then, is uh, making a last-minute decision here to take something off my list and put something on, put, put something else on. Hold up. Are you, you're live editing your list right now? Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, so, for some, for anyone that's curious... Can you put on Chuck versus Zach? No. <laughs> that would be so funny. Um, so, for anyone that's curious what this, ma- what this match previously was... It okay. was Dr. Wagner versus Psycho Clown. Oh, good Trip-mania. match. Really good match. <laughs> but uh, I want to replace it with Mark Davis versus Kaylee Ray from Fight Club Pro, the Infinity Tournament. Didn't get to see it. Now, on pay- on the surface, you might be like, why the fuck would you replace Dr. Wagner Jr. versus Psycho Clown? <laughs> Dr. Wagner Jr. lost his mask. Like, oh, yeah. my- like, come on, that's big. Like, that's cool and all, but I watched that match spoiled. So... <laughs> I had to, it, didn't, it didn't really hit me That's the same That's cool way. and all. <laughs> most, like, most emotional. You can make an argument that that was the biggest event to happen in pro wrestling in 2017. But Quentin Moody, quote, that's cool and all. But this Mark davis Kaylee Ray match, though. Sure. Anyway, the reason why is um, this is like, Fantastic professional wrestling. This Mark Davis Kaylee Ray match on this um, Infinity Tournament show is this big, badass, hard hitting, hard throwing, charismatic, dangerous, but like also like lovable guy in Mark Davis mm. going up against this like phenomenal, fiery, high flying. Uh, Daredevil and Kaylee Ray, who will go up against anything and doesn't really show any fears. Mm. And Kaylee Ray takes it straight to Mark Davis right off the bat. There's no wasted motion here. Um, Mark Davis being become like um, he emerged as maybe the best base in wrestling. Like Pete yeah, Dunn is up there, good. Cesaro, obviously a whole bunch of lucha guys, even like a Fred, 
even like a Fred Yehi is up there. Um, Susumu, obviously, but like Mark Davis is up there mm. and he takes Kaylee Ray's offense phenomenally well. And other than just like selling and bumping and basing for Kaylee Ray, just super fucking well, when he gets on offense, it looks fucking brutal. He looks like, like I, like it's weird. Because I would, you, you might see some of this stuff and be like, oh, he's trying to be like Claudio. He's trying to be like Steen. He's trying to be like Hero. And like sure. You see elements of dip of these different guys in like his matches sometimes. Mm-hmm. But this match, he comes across like fucking Peak Samoa Joe. Like this guy is fucking Ooh. incredible. You know how to match. hook me in. <laughs> like he is this, he allows Kaylee Ray almost to get in so much offense, but once you piss him off after, like, having, like, this cool, calm, fun-loving demeanor, mm. he's like, alright, you gotta die now. Cool. And he hits a all, he gets an awesome-looking, um, close your eyes and count the fuck, and, uh... Which, to explain, is a pile driver. Yes. <laughs> a big, crazy one. A pop-up pile driver looks absolutely frightening, and it's a great sprint, only goes about, like, six seven minutes maybe mm, okay maybe even shorter honestly than i'm remembering but it's a damn fun match and one that looking at my list i forgot to put on but i feel like that match is just fucking great and right. i felt i would have felt weird if i didn't talk about it i hear you, i hear you. needed 123 matches on your <laughs> list <laughs> Technically, technically, we didn't talk about Dr. Doctor Wagner's universe for Psycho Clown. So I guess like. not. <laughs> I don't know. If I wanted to talk about it, I should have had it on my list, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So that was uh, your 99, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, my 99 was a, uh, I think for the first time on this podcast, it was a women's match. I think it's the first time we've brought up uh, a match that was all women. Um, and it was Shayna Baszler taking on Penelope Ford from Beyond Wrestling's Go With The Flow. All right. I did not see this. I don't okay. think I saw anything from this show. So okay. tell me about it. Good show. This had, this had Riddle and Keith in the main event where Drew booked it before Game Ever did. <laughs> um, but this follows the opener that saw Joey Janela face somebody. I don't remember who. Um, and this is in the midst of the Joey Janela Matt Riddle feud. And after the match, Matt Riddle comes out with Chuck O'Neill and they both attack Janela. And Penelope sprints out being Janela's girlfriend to, you know, protect her guy. And, uh, Shayna Baszler, good friend of Matt Riddle's being that they're both former UFC fighters. I guess everybody's just a fan of friends in the octagon. Um, if you did, if you did MMA, your friends, pretty much. I guess so. <laughs> but, uh, she follows Penelope out, you know, like cock of the walk, like strutting her stuff. Um, and it segues right into this match where like Penelope is a, just so out of Shana's league, like, former gymnast, very talented herself, can hold her own against the likes of, like, the um, the hit squad, but, like, doesn't really know how to approach someone like Shayna Baszler. And B, she's so frazzled from Janela getting attacked that she just can't put up a fight in this match. And so Shayna squashes her, basically, and really fucks with Penelope, really fucks with the crowd in an enjoyable way. Like, really, um, this is probably the most heat any... Any match I've seen from Melrose Memorial Hall has gotten, which is like it's a quiet building and it's a building they never fill up all the way, but like it's certainly commendable. Um, and I like it because Penelope, like, 
like a lesser wrestler would have tried to stay 50-50 with someone like Shayna in this situation, but Penelope just takes her lumps, and it's it was just a really good use of time, and I enjoyed it. All right. My 98 is a match that I loved from a guy that inexplicably, I can't really tell you what clicked for me this year, but okay. you know, he'll have another match on my list later. Uh, Flash Morgan Webster versus Keith Lee from oh, cool. Progress Chapter 57. This is a match you told me repeatedly to watch, and I repeatedly ignored you, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about it. Um, man, uh, Flash had a really good Mike Bird match early mm-hmm. in, like earlier in the year. Yeah. But this was the one in progress. Specifically, he has a match and attack that I'm going to talk about later that I really liked. Okay. But in progress, this is really the match where I'm like, oh my god, I might actually like Flash Morgan Webster now. <laughs> did you com- did you not previously? No, and um, pretty much my thing with Flash is that like he is very athletically talented and gifted. Um, but to me, he was like the embodiment of like cool, unique moves with no real personality to show off. Mm. Real emotion to get behind or anything like that. You, know, you can say he has a cool look. Sure. But other than that, I don't really think there's anything with Flash to latch onto. He seems like he seems like a solid dude, but like Yeah, there was nothing really there to latch onto as a performer. And I think this year he had more emotional matches than he's had previously. Totally. Uh and this one in particular is going up against this big Mount of a man of Keith Lee, and Keith Lee is obviously used to facing guys smaller than him, um, but not too many flyers, I would say. Like, obviously, Ricochet. Um, sure. Leo Rush. Leo Rush. I'm not, really sure, I'm not really sure Leo was a flyer, but he's, athletic, he's not yeah. a guy. All right, I guess. Sure. Yeah, Sammy is a flyer. But yeah, whenever Keith Lee faces a flyer, I do think um, that's where he's at his best, because he gets, gets to catch these guys. Mm. In ways that even like the strongest people don't really do. Yeah. Like there's like some Michael Elgin, Brian Cage kind of shit, what he's doing to Flash Morgan Webster. Gross. You know, going out, <laughs> catching him on a suicide dive and just like holding him, um, on like under his armpits like he's a child. Mm-hmm. Flash looking confused. Like, is that, is that where you put armpits? <laughs> Fuck that up. God, continue. <laughs> I tried to, I, I was going to say, is that where you put children, Quentin? But I completely fucked it up. <laughs> um, I'm just going to stop just, recording. <laughs> but just holding him like he's a child in the air, Flash looks like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. Um, I like Keith as a heel, more like him as a baby face. Um, oh, okay. You know, flip side of Dijak. I think Keith, when he's menacing and controlling and kind of dismissive and condescending, is when he's at his best. Sure. And I think that's when he's at his most brutal. And Keith Lee, for as good as his flashy stuff is, he can hit hard as hell. And I think his brutal looking stuff is among the best in wrestling. Like his, um, yeah, double chop looks. Fucking brutal. Sounds disgusting. Every everybody does a bicycle knee. He might do the best one. Mm. Yeah, maybe. Um, but he just throws around Flash, um, splashes, um, splashes on him, lays on him, hits him hard, chops him, and Flash is just doing like this awesome selling, bumping around. And for the first time, I feel sympathy for Flash because he's facing this big. 
larger than life in both ways, human being and mm-hmm. Lee. And he just keeps fighting and fighting and fighting and trying to find a way to make this work. And the crowd gets behind him too. It's the most emotion I've ever heard behind a flash, flash Morgan Webster match. Uh, and he tries, and whenever he gets mounts his offense, Keith Lee takes it well. He bases well for a guy for a guy that big. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, Flash Morgan Webster gets taken down, and it's a match I love. It's a match that made me realize I was about to maybe give Flash Morgan Webster another chance <laughs> after a few years of just not really knowing what to do with the guy. Yeah, but yeah, I really, really love this match. Um, I understand if it doesn't hit people the same way. But for me, watching this um show, which is a very good show, but too, by the way, but I really, really enjoyed that match. Hmm. That was your uh, number ninety eight, correct? Yeah. Okay. My number ninety eight. Uh, both of these next two are actually um, really emotional, really sentimental matches for me, uh, which is something you're gonna hear a lot in my top one hundred. Um, and my number 98 is a match that also contains Keith Lee. It's Keith Lee taking on Chris Hero from Evolve 76. Hmm. All right. That's an interesting one because I don't think you have the Chris Zack match. I don't. No. Okay. So I guess why is this Keith Hero match on your list? Uh, well, in comparison to the, the, the Hero Zack one, I think I just didn't know what to do with that. So it's not necessarily thinking that this one was better. It's just that this one, I, I could actually have my hands around it. I could really grasp onto it. Um, whereas I couldn't with that other one. Um, but this one, this was like, I watched this just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and it was the first Chris Hero match I had seen in about a year. I hadn't seen Chris Hero work since Beyond's, uh, overnight sensation, which was like early December 2016. So I skipped out on the rest of his December stuff and all of his January matches, uh, at the time. And then I didn't get around to anything until December of 2017. Um, and then booting up this show and fast forwarding to the main event and hearing Chris is awesome for the first time in a year after like, a real disappointing year for Cassius Ono. Um, he sort of turned it around, turned it around towards the end, but like a a good nine ten month streak of just like underwhelming and frustrating matches, and and hearing this awesome song for the first time in in almost a year um, after one of my guys like did what was best for his career and left me in sort of a in a place in which to swallow a bitter pill. Hearing that song for the first time in a while was really good. And this match was really cool. Obviously it, it's it's marred by two terrifying uh equipment malfunctions in the rings or the ropes breaking twice. Um but watching Chris like adjust to that and completely take control of the match and guide it along in a way that is fun and refreshing and a little mean and 100% within the realm of his character. It was just, it was watching a master work at his craft and getting to see that for the first time in a while after a year in which I didn't get to see that. It was, it was really a nice thing. Um, yeah. Other than like the two rope breaking spots, keep, keep in mind that this, uh, Show also had Peter Casa yeah. eventually having the, his career ended due yep. to these same ropes. Has not wrestled since, to my knowledge. Yeah. 
So Chris Hero, thankfully, didn't meet the same fate Peter Casa did. Keith could have died. He was doing a moonsault. Yeah, Keith, for some reason, I don't know why he did this. <laughs> Not a smart idea. Yeah. Chris, I would imagine. I hope might be a dumb guy. I hope someone talked to him after. Like <laughs> Keith, what the fuck was that, buddy? <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, it's a good match. Um. Uh, reminiscent of like when. The rope broke and the hero Claudia match in PWG that goes like 40 minutes. Uh-huh. And, you know, hero is such a professional and he can do so many things that, you <laughs> like, know. what he does here is like, so the rope, the, the first rope breaks when he's running the ropes and he doesn't like fall out of the ring or anything. He just teeters there for a second. It's like, whoa. And everyone like gathers their breath for a second. And then Chris is like, Hey, let's get this rope out of here. And he's like talking to the ref and, and to Keith and he's being real jovial about it. He's like, yeah, teamwork. Woo. And he uses the opportunity as Keith is like throwing the last turnbuckle out of the ring to like clobber him with an elbow. And he starts beating him up and he takes him out to the floor and they do a brawling sequence. And Chris like bullies the referee and is like, you're not counting me out. This is my last weekend. You're not doing this to me. <laughs> and uh, he does all sorts of moves, like does this big senton onto Keith on the floor, and then he slides back in the ring and is like, ref, count, f- count him out, count him out. And it's, it's <laughs> he's... It's a great hero. It's a, it's so a great good. Hero. It's a great hero performance. It really it's is. Such a great hero performance. And, and like to see that for the first time in a year was just, it did my heart good. Yeah, I definitely understand that. Um, I think I watched this show after the fact. I don't think I got to watch it live. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, watching it, I, I was kind of, like, disappointed that the rope broke yeah. in, here, in one of Heroes matches. But, like, for the guy that's, like, Mr. Indie Wrestling, that's kind of, yeah. like, a fitting way to go out, too. It really is. Um, and Keith was good in it, too. Like, was, it's not, was. it wasn't just the Chris Heroes. Other, other than that dumb moonsault. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Keith, my man, what are you doing? <laughs> All right. Another match I'm sure you have higher. Freddie Havers and Jonathan Gresham from Nova Pro 11th Dimension. Damn, you had these really close. Yeah. Yeah, I have it way higher. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead, then. Uh, for my number 97, is that correct? Yeah. So, the second part of my sentimental 1-2 combo is uh, the last ever Katsuyori Shibata versus Tomohiro Ishii match from mm-hmm. the, the New Japan Cup. All right, go ahead. Did you see this? Yeah, I saw it. I liked it. I thought it was like lesser than a lot of their matches previously. But well, see, well, see that's the thing. Is like, but yeah, well, but you, have, you have the sentimental, sentimental attachment to it. Well, yeah. Well, let me let me explain too that like, uh, I've mentioned before I was homeless in 2013 for a while, um, and I, I've mentioned before like how watching wrestling was a big help during that period of time. Um, most notably. Uh, Dragon Gate's Kobe Kobe World Hall show, uh, where my my man Shingo Takagi ended Shima's like two year reign with the Dreamgate belt, um, and hand in hand with that was the G1 Climax that year, which was fucking awesome, uh, and included the first Katsuyori Shibata versus Tomohiro Ishii match, this little like six minute sprint that like blew my mind, and it was it was something that like helped to drag me back into wrestling and to help but help me just like get over the fact that like cool i ate out of a dumpster for like a month and a half there like that sucked um and so that that matchup like always remained special to me um 
even when my taste changed over the years and even when I think these two maybe changed as performers, that's, that's less uh, concrete. Um, and then coming in here, I didn't watch this until uh, well after the fact, well after Shibata's injury. And to see them have what you described as a lesser match, and I, I totally understand that this is probably like the least of all their matches, but to have a match that's not so hard-hitting, that's not so um, destructive, mm-hmm. like just a couple of weeks before Shibata nearly died, and, and getting to see these guys match up one last time, but in a way that I don't think, you know, helped to hurry along one man's near fatal accident. It was, it was nice. Like it was just, a, it was a nice little thing. Yeah. I can fully understand and appreciate where that comes from. Uh-huh. Um, my number 96 is Ember Moon versus Asuka from NXT takeover Ooh. Orlando. Yeah. I have both of them higher. Okay. Yeah. yeah I have this one higher. Alright, you can go ahead then. My number 96 is a uh, Hideki Suzuki taking on Takuya Namura from the Kaki Ride Show, Masahito Kakihara, recent New Japan Rumble winner. <laughs> uh, his produce show from, when was it? It was in August. Did you see this? No, I did not get to see this. You should watch this show. It is like one of the best shows of the year. Like, super breezy, totally fun. I loved it. Um, and this was one of the best matches from it. Uh, Suzuki and Nomura are both BJW guys and had had a singles match in Big Japan uh, earlier in the year. It was very good, too. You, everyone should go see that. Um, but this one was a little different in that Nomura came into this with a game plan and stuck to it and nearly beat Hideki Suzuki, a guy who's like twice as old as him and maybe eight times more experienced, <laughs> uh, nearly beat him several times. Like got really fucking close. And it was a cool match in which you see Suzuki go from, Oh shit. Like this kid's gonna beat me to, okay, let's see what this kid can do. Um, which is helped by the fact that, uh, by this point in time, Suzuki and Nomura are in the same stable in big Japan. So it's, it's like the leader of the stable being like, all right, let's, let's, let's let this kid stretch his legs a little. And it's, it, it's just really cool to see Nomura like ply his trade in Suzuki. Let him, you know, let him run around for a while before smashing him down. Um, and it's just like high quality grappling. It's, it's not pro wrestling rules. It's, it's like a, UWFI. It was UWFI rules, so they have like points and whatnot. Um, but it was really enjoyable, and like I, I really, I really loved it. All right, um, number ninety-five is Drew Galloway versus Zima Ion or DJZ, whatever you want to call them, from AW's Homecoming show. I didn't watch this. Heard so many things about it. Don't like Drew Galloway. Why don't you tell me why he had such a good match? Um. As someone that liked Drew Galloway a lot during his um, run on the Indies, I think whenever he gets a chance to match up with a smaller guy like he did against like Speedball in the 2015 Bola, mm-hmm. who has like innovative, unique offense, and he can be this big mountain for somebody to climb, that's what yeah. he's at his best. And that's what this was facing DJZ, who's equally as athletic and fun and innovative and unique. Um there's also sort of a coming out party for DJZ, who had a really, really strong 2017. Really um, did, yeah. Sucks that uh, he got he got hurt to end the year. Oh, I didn't know that. 
Yeah, he got hurt. But um, did he get hurt at the end of last year? Uh, he had like some crazy spine injury or something. I don't know if it was a spine thing or if it was like the like ruptured colon one or like something. I don't know. Yeah, one of those things. But DJZ, who has like keep fighting back from injuries that well, a lot of these just being freak accidents. Sure. Yeah. Um. So I can't really say the guy's injury prone, but totally. like just watching him go out there and do these uh great looking DDTs and uh bump around for Galloway and mm-hmm. the. Galloway does like a beal a beal throw all the way across the goddamn ring. Nice. I swear to you, it is like not like from like not like not he starts from the middle. He actually mm-hmm. is all the way at the opposite corner and tosses him all the way to the other one. It's fucking incredible looking. Uh, just a really fun action packed match. Uh, not necessarily a sprint, but there's a lot of fun to be had here. Mm-hmm. Drew Galloway eventually puts him puts him away, but. For a lot of people, this is what put DJZ on the map for 2017. Mm-hmm. As a guy that posts TNA, still has a lot to offer. And I'm glad that I saw this, and I'm glad that eventually DJZ got more opportunities um, to show what he's made of. Because mm-hmm. if this match was any indication, like he is a talented guy that should be like a mid-card, upper mid-card, maybe even main event level guy in so many promotions. Totally. So you can go ahead there. What was your uh, 95, right? Yep. Okay, my number 95. Um, it's kind of astonishing. No, wait, you brought him up earlier. Never mind. Silly me. Uh, my number 95 is Walter taking on a guy you brought up just a few minutes ago, Mike Bird, in Progress's uh, Cologne show. All right. I like this match, but I didn't like mm. love it, so tell me about it. So... Uh, you introduced me to Mike Bird, actually. You you had me watch uh, his match against Zack Saber Jr. 2016 against uh or in 2016 against Zack Saber Jr. in Attack Pro Wrestling, um, and I liked him back then. Like I thought he was sort of a cool, like lanky underdog, babyface kind of guy. And then in 2017, he reinvented himself completely into like this bruiser who like, he's only like five, nine, but he, he punches above his weight so much. Like he, he's a guy who, this is an Atlas title, number one contenders match. And like, he totally fits within the realm of that title. He, he's, he's a dude who carries himself so well and is a great, like heavyweight style wrestler, despite not in my opinion, at least being a heavyweight. The thing is though, he's no Walter. Mm. And so Walter comes in here, beats the shit out of him and Mike bird just keeps on trucking. And it's, it, it was just a, it was a match that provided a lot of like quality Walter style wrestling in one particularly good character moment that I loved where bird chops Walter pretty late in the match and it's a really good chop, and he's he's thinking that it's going to do more damage than it actually does. And he can tell. He's not even looking up at Walter after he chops him. He's, like, looking down at the mat. But he can tell that the dude's bristling up at the chop, and it's going to just unleash on him. And there's this great shot from a ringside camera looking up at Mike Bird as he's looking down at the mat, and he's just like, Ah, fuck it. I gave it my best shot. <laughs> That's like something that Walter's been really good at this year. I've seen what the David Starr uh-huh. match is where David Starr will throw a fantastic chop. Uh-huh. If he threw it against somebody else, like they'd be selling the hell out of Anybody it. Anybody else. <laughs> but Walter's just like, okay, 
<laughs> you did this to yourself. Yeah, and 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 then he just gives it back tenfold, and it's and it's marvelous. It's it's probably not a match that's going to hit anybody else the way that it hit me, but like really impressed me. Became a big fan of Mike Bird in 2017, and this match was a big reason why. Well, since you're such a big Mike Bird fan, you might have my number 94 higher. Oh boy. Mike Bailey versus Mike Burr from Attack Pro Wrestling, Body Slams and Control and Money and Power. I forgot to watch this. No, you Shit. didn't. You watched, this, you watched this match. I did not watch this. Don't tell me what I watched, Quinn. <laughs> might be, might have been Tim that watched it then. Yes. You're confusing the other one of the four people that we are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I'm, I'm shocked that you did not watch this. Okay. I meant to, and it I just slipped my mind, I guess. Well... On paper, you're like you, you were really so excited, good. You were, you were really excited to watch this. So excited to watch it, and I was I thought it was going to be good too. Not in the way I was expecting, though. Okay. See, these two beat the shit out of each other. Surprise! But not in like there really wasn't any middle ground. There wasn't a lot of like mat wrestling here. There wasn't a lot there other than like the fact that they just beat living shit of each other with chops and kicks and brutal looking spots um god I, be- there, I believe there might have been a figure four roll to the outside spot where, so popular in 2017 uh, and looked absolutely brutal and I think it went on a hardwood floor uh, so it, so like the thud it made was very disgusting too yeah but yeah, just Bird and Bailey beating the absolute tart of each other. Um, I love it when Speedball gets to let loose on somebody, mm-hmm. um, somebody that can like you know keep up with what he can do and how hard he can kick. And Mike Bird is someone that he'll take the punishment, but he'll give it right back. Yep. And it made for an awesome, awesome like kind of like violence party, so to speak. It was totally. great stuff. You should really watch it. I'm I shocked, I will shocked and disappointed <laughs> that you did not watch it. I just it, so much wrestling at the end of the year that I had to catch up on. What's <laughs> right, your number ninety four? Uh, it's a match you brought up just a couple of minutes ago. It's Oscar versus Ember Moon from NXT Orlando. All right. Um, I always felt like I was higher on Oscar's matches, and a lot of people, obviously, other than you, like sure. I, don't, I, don't really feel, I don't really feel like people were, were really giving Oscar. Her credit, and this is another one where I watched this match. Then watch it live because I think I, I think I might have been at work. I don't know. So I watched I it later. Remember. Came back um, after watching it and went to the Slack chat. Like, holy shit, that was fucking great. That finish was great. Mm-hmm. Oscar was awesome in it. Like, great character stuff. Why is nobody talking about this match? Like, why is nobody ever talking about Oscar's character work? And I was yeah. completely stunned. After how good she was in that match, that people just weren't talking more about it. But um, you can chime in here, too, because I adored this. Well, I mean, even aside from the character work, this is just like a really high-quality, like, Joshi-style, big floaty bumps, big dramatic strikes, Mm -hmm. like, whole whole bunch of yelling, (laughs) whole bunch of running around, whole bunch of hair flying all over. It is very much a Joshi match. Yeah, um, and it's got some foibles in that. Like, I'm not the biggest fan of like how they do everything in Joshi, but um, really good. And then on top of that, it starts off this like 
interesting character turn for Asuka in which you've seen her for a year now as this like bored goddess like milling around in the realm of humans and she's finally found an opponent who can really take her to the limit but she doesn't want to show it because she's afraid of like where that leads and she in ember moon like never ends up beating her but like oscar's got to pull out a bunch of tricks in order to do it and she does it here by the means of like shoving the um the referee into the ropes when I, when ember's going for her um uh what's what you call the gimmick the eclipse her uh diving stone cold stunner by god um and it's it's a really cool thing where like she like crotches her on the top rope and then hits her with the buzzsaw kick and and that's it and afterwards she's just like guffawing at the world at like the absurdity of it all like at the referee for being like oh you were abetting my cheating um but it's it's so interesting to see the cracks in her armor yeah it was a real subtle story and one that like goes back to 2015 um, yep. When she first debuted, she is literally scaring Emma and Dana Brooks shitless. Of them. Like, they're, like, scared. Uh-huh. Completely shook of that possibility of facing her. And then um, she transitions, then obviously, like, squash like squash matches and whatever else. That transition into beating Bailey and looking unstoppable there. Um, facing Nia Jax. Having a match against Mickey James. Other stuff in between there. But in 2017... You have people like Peyton Royce and Billy Kay and Ember Moon and Nikki Cross who were not afraid to step up to Asuka and Asuka having to find ways to survive. Mm-hmm. She couldn't just get by on like these mind games and everybody being afraid of her anymore. She had to like find out ways to eke out victories. And I thought that was a very subtle story they told, one a lot of people probably didn't appreciate fully. But mm-hmm. you know, I loved it. And I do have the Brooklyn match higher, as do you. But, Same, yeah. yeah, it's uh, fucking fantastic stuff. All right. My number 93. Um, I'm not really sure how you feel about any of these matches, but this is the only Uh-oh. one from this series that I have. Uh, Walter versus Matt Riddle from Progress Chapter 51. Which one is this? This is the title change in Birmingham. Okay. I have one of them on my top 200. It's not, it's, it's way lower than this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't remember which one it is. So why don't you tell me about it? All right. So Walter and Matt Riddle beat the shit out of each other. Do they now? <laughs> uh, you know, this may be a development, but they really hit each other hard in all these matches. Mm-hmm. Maybe harder than Walter and David Starr do, honestly. Um, But I think this one is different because Walter comes in and he is not fucking around. He already um, lost his first shot at the Atlas title on my chapter uh, chapter 46, um, which was a fantastic top to bottom show. But he came up short there and he earned his way back um, with the aforementioned uh, Walter versus Mike Bird message we talked about in Progress Cologne. Mm -hmm. And he comes in just ready to wreck shit. And Matt Riddle obviously isn't going to take it lying down. He adores the Atlas title and he'll fight tooth and nail to keep it. But Walter, on this day, in this city, but keep in mind, um, um, Birmingham was also the first, was also the city where the first Atlas title change took place, where Matt Riddle beat Rampage Brown. Oh, interesting note. Yeah. So, 
they return to the city and Matt Riddle loses his championship, which is an interesting little touch there. Um, brutal, hard hitting stuff sometimes can be, uh, I don't know, might not have a lot, might not have a lot there in a smart department for a lot of people, but I do admire the fact that it's just unabashedly we're going to go out there and beat the, beat the shit out of each other. Mm-hmm. And, uh, there's a lot of Matt Riddle matches like that this year. <laughs> a lot of Walter matches like that this year. But I think the emotion, the fire that Matt Riddle has, um, and I think the way Walter wrestled, you can just tell the, these two just love wrestling each other. And I think that shines through, and it's just awesome to watch. You're right. Chapter 46 was a pretty stacked show. Uh, this Did you say this was your highest of the series? Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know what it was about it. Like it just it never, it never hit me the way that I thought it would. Um, and the obvious thing that anyone who knows me would say is like, oh well, you just don't like Riddle, which is sort of true. But like I, th- I felt that Riddle had a very strong year. Someone who's definitely making my top ten wrestlers of the year. Um, and like I, I thought he wasn't doing anything particularly different against Walter. Um, their first match in WXW I didn't enjoy, partially due to the fact that it bucks the trend of what. Walter was doing in that tournament specifically, and I felt that that was just like an unnecessary deviation. But these matches, I don't know, they just never clicked with me. Um, I do kind of think they're different from what Riddle usually does because uh-huh. Walter too. Yeah. Um. Even like the only person that really goes blow for blow with Riddle like that is Tracy Williams. So <laughs> so weird, but yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. The other like the only person that really just goes at Riddle as hard as Walter does. Is Tracy Williams. Hmm. So to see Walt, to see Riddle go up against this big dude who hits just as hard as him. Yeah. Um, I think was a interesting dynamic, um, as opposed to like Riddle always being, um, he can knock you out at any time. Yeah. Walter is like, all right, like it's going to take a lot more than that to take me down. So I just like the dynamic they have there. Um, I do think in a year full of a whole bunch of series and trilogies and, what, and whatever else that just got lost in the shuffle, and maybe if people went back and watched it, like they'd have a different opinion of it, because uh, arguably both guys had better series in 2017. But uh, yeah, I enjoyed this a lot. Okay, so uh, my number 93 is a match you may or may not have higher. It was a match that was... Um, Harold did a return to form in a promotion that you and I both love. It was the Berserk versus Maximum versus Overgeneration three-way trios match from Dragon Gate's uh, September 5th show. I have this really fucking high. <laughs> okay, we're going to talk about it later. So I'll talk about my man Smith Garrett once more. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> this is his highest rank match, sadly. Are sure your number one isn't there? No, 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 no. He he sadly just didn't wrestle a whole lot because because of, of a serious injury um, that may or may not be fake. I don't know. CWF is weird that way. Uh, it doesn't help that like like you're kind of like friendly with a lot of people there. Those are like you don't know yeah. when you're getting worked or not. <laughs> yeah, it's I don't know. Um, but anywho, uh, this is him taking on X Cyrus from. Uh, CWF Mid Atlantic's Tell All Your Friends, which was uh, January twenty the first, and this, this was a fun little rivalry. <laughs> uh, I didn't necessarily enjoy how it ended, but this kickoff match was bananas. Um, technically, I don't think it was a match. <laughs> um, 
it starts with Vic Sires coming out for a schedule match against Smith Garrett, and he's talking a whole bunch of shit on the entrance ramp, and he's going on about how he cost Smith Garrett his shot at the, I think it was the TV title at Battlecade. Um, and he nearly broke Smith Garrett's neck. And Smith ain't taking none of that shit and comes out from the locker room and jumps him from behind. And, uh, they, I'm pretty sure they never enter the ring at the same time. <laughs> and each one of them collectively spends perhaps a minute in the ring during this whole encounter. Instead, they just brawl all over the sportatorium, um, doing a whole bunch of punching, doing a whole bunch of kicking. One At one point, Smith Irish whips Exiris into the corner post on the floor, and Exiris takes a delightful bump, a bump that makes me laugh every time I see it. Just incredible physical comedy in professional wrestling. Um, eventually, Smith Garrett beats Exiris so bad that he fakes out joining him in the ring and just walks into the locker room, grabs his bag and leaves. Um, Stutzy goes after him, Brad Stutz, who's like on-screen general manager, I suppose you'd say, in CWF. Um, you can hear Stutzy yelling from the locker room, like, don't you walk away from me. Good on Stutzy for projecting that because I wasn't sure that like he thought it could make it onto the camera mm. uh, from the locker room. But it certainly does. Um, and Smith Garrett's like in the ring, fired up. And since he comes back and it's like, he's gone. <laughs> like he, he, took, he, he took his back and he's gone. And, uh, <laughs> and Smith's like, you better funny get shit. <laughs> Smith, Smith, Smith Garrett's like, you better go get him. I'm not leaving this ring until I beat the shit out of Cyrus. <laughs> and, um, which is just more like, like Smith Garrett be getting his bag and getting in this car too. Well, that's, he eventually does. I, I know, I know. Just, like, that's just hilarious like, to me. Smith, Smith, like, Stetsy tells him, like, he's in his car, he'd left. And Smith's like, all right, if he's not coming to me, I'm going to come to him. And by this point, like, there's a bunch of rookies in the ring who are, like, trying to defuse the situation because Smith Garrett is all sorts of fired up here. And when he goes to stomp off after Cyrus, the rookies are like, hold up now and put his hand, or put their hands on his chest to, like, just stop him and keep him in place. And Smith Garrett's like, motherfuckers. <laughs> and he starts swinging, starts <laughs> slamming, beats the shit out of all these rookies. And it's like, I'm going to go beat up Cyrus and stomps out of the ring. And it's five stars. <laughs> the best match of all time. Best Sh- match in your Shinya Hashimoto could never. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I loved it. Like it was, it was perfect pro wrestling to me. And if it was an actual match, it probably would have been, like, top ten for me. All right. Uh, my number 92 is a match I'm not even sure you saw, but it's Fred Yehi versus Anthony Henry from Style Battle Season 1, Episode 5. I don't remember if I watched this one, because I watched, like, a bunch of Fred Yehi stuff all at once, uh, and it sort of bled together. I don't think I watched it. All right. So, Anthony Henry and Fred Yehi have had a whole bunch of matches this year. All pretty good, really good, some of them. Uh, this one had the added story of Anthony Henry being in, I think, almost all the side battles so far, if not all of them, and coming up short and not being able to win one yet. Um, the last time these two faced, they went to a draw. So the story here, oh, and earlier in the night, Anthony Henry had hurt his neck. 
So he's nursing a neck injury coming into this match and going up against someone as brutal, cerebral, unique, and just vicious offensively as Fred Yehai. You knew Fred Yehai was going to take advantage of it. So what we get here is a great um, neck-based attack um, from Yehai throughout most of the match. Mm-hmm. Great Anthony Henry selling callbacks to their uh, 30-minute draw. Uh, and just in general, a lot of drama, a lot of emotion for the fact that Anthony Henry is finally trying to get this win-a-style battle that, he, that has just avoided him. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's great action. He gets the victory. And, uh, excuse me, for style battle, which never really did anything, you know, 20, 15 people on a show at most, um, I thought it was really cool, even with, even with all that being said, that Anthony Henry's got to win a style battle. It was a really well-told story in that mm-hmm. respect. Um, one that, like, you know, nobody really cared about. But if you're watching Style Battle, if you're watching Anthony Henry's story in particular, if you're watching him on that show, it uh, definitely hit all the right marks. Great selling, great action, a great match, great moment. Like, nothing really I can complain about there. Is that stuff still up for free on Slam? I don't know. The fact that the site is still, like, active... <laughs> That's crazy, so but it might it might be. What a silly thing. Um, so I'll do my ninety one, and then you can close this out. Uh, this is a match I'm not totally sure where you come down on. It's uh, Brock Lesnar versus Samoa Joe from WWE's Great Balls of Fire. Um, this is the match I mean, where like the first couple of minutes are like fucking incredible, and then just kind of teeters off. Uh huh. Like I love. The first like two minutes of this match, I think it's that, a short I, match. Even then, yeah, yeah. It's like it's like seven minutes. I think seven or eight. Yeah, yeah. I think it's like that. Two minutes is really fucking good. And then after that, I think it just either should it hit the space between like you could argue that it should have ended in like two or three minutes, mm. but then you can also say like they didn't just you just didn't like use their time well after it. So I think that's where I like I'm stuck there <laughs> and like. You know, I enjoyed some of this match a lot, mm. but as a whole, I think I was kind of let down by the last, like, four or five minutes of it. Totally get it, but, like, I don't know, this was... Oh, the, oh, the, build, the build was fantastic, too. I should throw that in there. Sure, totally. The build and promos terrible. and the segments of them attacking each other, it was tremendous pro wrestling. Yeah. Like, almost, like, as perfect, like, pro wrestling build as you can get. Yeah. Even though they're not both guys who can talk well they're both guys who like carry themselves well in in a in a big fight uh build the way they did it was like you know 100 percent like ufc based really <laughs> sure you know yeah. for the like you know the whole sit down less homophobia and, but yes yeah um <laughs> like a whole like if, if you've ever seen like the john jones um daniel cormier like um, two satellite locations and they're talking to each other for like, you know, it's that kind of stuff where like they're threatening each other, talking shit. And like, it's fully believable as Joe is really upset that Brock Lesnar is not taking him seriously. And he's telling him, I'm going to fuck uh-huh. you up. Like you are laughing and you are thinking it's a joke. I'm going to fuck you up. And Paul Heyman, while Brock is laughing and shrugging it off and dismissing it, Paul Heyman's like, Brock, like, Come on, buddy. (laughs) He's serious, man. He's serious, man. (laughs) Yeah, but, like, I love the build. Um, 
I mean, in a lot of ways, this was a match that was like made for me. You know, like two of my all-time guys. Oh, I said this is like a dream match for me. Like, totally. I didn't, like I didn't plan on watching this show at all, hmm. and then I thought about it, and I was like, two thousand five me would probably yeah. kill for this. Even if Brock Lesnar, totally. even if Brock Lesnar wasn't wrestling at that point. There was so like obviously like for like fresh memories of like I would yeah. kill for that match. <laughs> like you got to do it just for like shitty middle middle schooler you used to be. Like I totally I totally get you there. Like like this was a match that made me watch a WWE pay per view live, which I didn't do a whole lot in 2017. <laughs> um, and it was like it, it gave me everything I wanted. Maybe not as much as I wanted, but like this ain't tw- 2005, and I'm realistic, you know. Um, it gave me. Joe being this unstoppable monster who's also like just super smart, who has like an incredible strategy and who executes it flawlessly. Um, it gave me a vulnerable Brock Lesnar who is bumping around and selling around and turning many colors. <laughs> oh my god, all the colors! We were talking about it earlier today. In we, had, the, we had a pretty interesting Brock Lesnar discussion in general. <laughs> we really did. Uh, we earlier today in the. Uh, I guess we're calling it wrestling with friends now, but the, <laughs> the WWF Slack chat. Oh my um, God. We have a WWF Slack chat. <laughs> I've come uh, to this realization that it is the worst thing ever. Yep. <laughs> WWF Slack chat. So in the Slack chat, we had a discussion earlier today about Lesnar's many health problems. And this was a match that I think used the reality of that. Well, mm. in that Samoa Joe, on the main roster in WWE has been all about the Kikina clutch. And when he applies the move, which he does many times throughout this, Lesnar's turning all sorts of shades of ochre. And it's like, holy shit. <laughs> like Joe's choking the breath out of no, him. He like, it will actually kill him. <laughs> murder this man. There, there are points of this where Joe's like throwing knees to the midsection or like throwing punches to the gut. And it's, you can, you you can take that just as like, as like working over a guy trying to wind him and then trying to apply a sleeper hold, like just sound strategy. When I first watched this though, I was like, is he a, is he working Lesnar's gastroesophagus? Is he working his diverticulitis? Diverticulitis? I mean, he is a big MMA nerd, so I'm like, oh, oh my god. <laughs> I'm like, is, is he is he targeting like the foot of large intestine he had removed? <laughs> it's it's absurd and it and it's stupid, but like this match, even even with all the shortcuts in the world, even with only being eight minutes long, even with it being a very unhealthy Brock Lesnar in a decade like, past his prime, Samoa Joe, like yeah. this. This was this was everything I wanted. Like it was it was. There's no there's no finisher spam from Brock Lesnar, which was like one of my biggest complaints for the past couple of years. It's a one and done F five, which is awesome. Um, it, a whole bunch of like mean mean strikes from these two. A whole bunch of like meaty slams. Like it was it was it was like it wasn't perfect for me, but it was like it was as good as that match could have been. Yeah, I fully appreciate that, and like. I think I like the match. I yeah. think I, I, I like it more than the Goldberg match, I would think, on some level, because I think even that match probably falls off way worse for me. <laughs> um, I, think I, like it, I think I like it more than the four-way, and I definitely like it way more than the Braun match. Only match I 
only Brock match I loved this year was the AJ match. We'll be getting talked about way later when we get to like the upper part of our um, list. So, but uh, yeah, like I enjoyed aspects of this. I enjoyed the first few minutes. I enjoyed the build. I enjoyed Brock Lesnar's vulnerability. I love Joe's like working the diverticulum. <laughs> <laughs> like it's the dumbest idea ever. But like for a minute, I was like. Dude, <laughs> like he's gonna Joe actually gonna rip his intestines out. He's, he's gonna <laughs> he's shove his job. he's gonna shove his fist in his belly button and <laughs> rip his intestines out. Like I love, like I Joe, I love Joe's viciousness and nastiness and just mm-hmm. continue the attacks. Like there's a lot, there's a lot of it to love. Yeah, that's not the problem. It's just you know, I just wish the last few minutes were as good as I hear you. match. I hear you. All right, now the grand finale of this first oh. part. Part one of four. <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't been that long. It really hasn't, yeah. Um, and number 91 features one of your favorite wrestlers on the planet, Davis Sarr. <laughs> Smith Garrett? <laughs> Up against a man that you loathe, Jordan Devlin, from OTC oh. Wrestle Pops. <laughs> okay, I, I was thinking you were going to say Zach, and I was like, all right, we can talk about that, but... <sighs> You mean like someone I actually kind of hate? <laughs> yep, David Starr, Jordan Devlin from OTT. Wrestling. Is this is this your highest ranked Jordan Devlin match? My only Jordan Devlin match. Okay, okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna let you finish, <laughs> and, and then me. <laughs> and then I'm gonna say some words. Um, just so I can ca- I can counteract everything Brock is going to say. Jordan Devlin is a fantastic professional wrestler. First and foremost, horseshit. <laughs> and um, he had an awesome year facing a lot of the, gaining the moniker of import killer. Am I coming um, back tomorrow? <laughs> Doing this yourself. Um, facing guys like Speedball and Matt Riddle, um, Moose, uh, Shane Strickland, and just having really fun, really good matches with all of these guys. And here comes David Starr, who's um, been in Europe so much this year. So he's pretty much like a regular. So it's like not even like a surprise when David Starr is in Europe. Yeah. But, you know, these two had, had a match of Fight Club Pro that I really enjoyed. And that showed flashes of maybe if they were given more time and more focus, it could be even greater. And lo and behold, in OTT, they go up there and get more time, get more focus, and they have a match that I really, really enjoy. Uh, hard-hitting action, which you expect from David Starr, but I think Jordan Devlin holds up his end, too. Deceptively hard hitter, I think he is. Um, uh-huh. Jordan Devlin, obviously a really athletic guy, so he can pull out some flashy kicks and dives um, that I think make this more than just two guys beating the shit out of each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think David Starr's mouth gets busted open at one point, so that adds to the match, too. Um, there's a lot of kickouts. Um... Well, like big move, cover, shocked face kind of stuff. But oh, good. <laughs> but it's in front of a hot crowd. Um, I think it's two guys that have some pretty damn good chemistry, and it just goes to the whole story of Jordan Devlin working his way up before eventually getting the NLW title. Really, the really it's the match where Jordan Devlin, I guess, like officially became a babyface. Is what I'm trying to say. Um. It was like building. I thought he was a bit. No, I'm thinking of Ryan Smile. My bad. Like he, like he was getting there after like the Moose match, but this was the one where Davis Starr gives, gives him a kiss after the match. Like and gross. 
With a Be better, eye. David. <laughs> um, but yeah, this was like the real official Jordan Devlin face turn, and I thought it was just a great match to boot. But you can go ahead and say whatever you need to say and get the entire Irish wrestling <laughs> community yeah. mad. At you. Yeah, all eight of them. Like, <laughs> all right. So I'm going to preface this by saying I just don't get Jordan Devlin. Like, there's clearly something here that a bunch of people enjoy about him, and I just don't see it yet. I might never see it, but uh, right here in this moment, uh, I just have strong feelings due to the fact that I see his name plastered all over the fucking place. Maybe I just follow a high percentage of Irish wrestling fans. It's not all over the place. (laughs) Maybe I just follow all eight of the Irish wrestling fans. The only high-profile places he works are OTT and Fight Club Pro. (laughs) He's not not in progress that much. He hasn't like... like, you haven't showed up in PWG yet, which I think is probably God. possible. <laughs> Fuck like, you. <laughs> uh, it's possible. Like, so, like, he really isn't, like, that whole high profile of a name yet. Well, regardless of that, people <laughs> treat him like a big fucking deal, okay. and I just don't get it. And it's not, like, it's not the big, the big argument was, like, oh, people just saw him shit the bed in the UK tournament. Which, I understand which, that. Which, which I think a lot of people actually came around and, like, the people that did were saying that for sure. such a long time did go back I wouldn't, and, like, yeah, I wouldn't know, but sure. Uh, yeah, I think people that were did say that. They're like, "All right, my bad, Jordan Devlin is actually good." I, I mean, I, I, I thought he shit the bed there, and against against a wrestler who like is known for only performing to his opponent's level, and for once was overperforming there. Um, Can I talk about I, how, like, in 2017, I realized I did not, I did not like Martin Stone at all. <laughs> yeah, you and I, you and I had a rough relationship with Martin Stone this year, but I'll, I'll, I'll talk about him glowingly at least one more time throughout the series of podcasts. <laughs> not going to talk about Jordan Devin glowingly. <laughs> I, it's, I don't get it. Like, I don't, I don't get why he is the the big face of the Irish wrestling scene. I, I maybe it's just that he is. Like the most talented guy of a scene that is just breaking out, and he's not Ryan Smile. Uh, Ryan so, Smile, like, Ryan Smile also isn't Irish. Just so. Oh, is he not? I thought he was. No, he's from Birmingham. Okay, so uh, my bad. I just I saw him there initially and heard about him there initially. Okay, that was my fault. But so Jordan Devlin, just like the guy of the Irish wrestling scene, in fair fucks to him, like it's actually growing into something like really interesting and really and really worth watching and I'm so, proud of those people. Yeah, selling like, out a two thousand seat yeah. venue three separate times this year. In in like two years after nothing. Yeah. You know? Like nothing two years ago. I don't get why Jordan Devlin is is the best of that crew. I don't think he's the best of the crew by a long shot. I it's like he just he strikes me as the sort of guy who just made the right connections, impressed the right people, and sort of snuck into a place that like he didn't necessarily hang. He's like, uh, you ever watch APW, the King of the Indies tournament, the thing that like preceded ROH? Yeah, that basically kicked off what we understand as independent wrestling. Mm-hmm. So there's like there's like all timer people on that show. There's your American Dragons, your AJ Styles, your Low Keys, your Christopher Daniels. You, you got people who are about to be like huge fucking yeah, deals. Samoa Joe on that show too. You got Samoa Joe. You got Super Dragon guys who are going to be big deals soon. You got guys who are like really talented but never made it to that next level. Like your Bison Smith, your Doug Williams, um, your Frankie Kazarian. I guess I like Frankie more than most people. Vinny Massaro was on that show. Vinny Massaro was on there. Wasn't going to bring him up because he's a current guy and I don't want to piss him off. But whatever, Vinny Massaro. Was there too. I've never seen that match, so I, I can't speak to what he was like in 2001. But you're running down this, you're running down the show, and you're like, 
okay, these are a bunch of people who in 2001 belonged on a show like this, a show that was meant to be like the best of the best that was supposed to be the king of the Indies. And then you get to Scoot Andrews who is like just a Florida dude. Okay. All right. All right. All right. right. You're not going to call a Jordan Devil Scoot Andrew. <laughs> I'm, saying, I'm saying he's the black major boy of 2017. That's what Jordan Devlin is, is the Scoot Andrews of the Irish wrestling scene. I don't understand why he was just the big deal to break out here. And he, and he, and he made his, and he made his, his rounds and he, and he's getting all this, this hype. And I don't, I don't understand where it came from. Okay. How much OTT, how much OTT do you watch? I watched. We're gonna pull it up right now. I'll pull up cage match, and I'm gonna count the Jordan Devlin matches that I watched. No, 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 no. I'm talking 20... about. I'm talking about how many OTT shows have you seen in full? Oh, in full, probably zero because I, I skip around a couple of things. Okay, I'll watch. I'll watch like a, I'll watch all the King of the North matches, and okay. I'll watch like other stuff here. And I will give you King of the North that you can say like they're better. I like but, them a lot. Yeah, mm-hmm. but. I'm going to be honest with you. If someone that watches OTT, likes OTT, sure. there really aren't that many people better than Jordan Devlin that are native oh, yeah. Irish guys. Oh. That's just the truth. Like, and they have like a whole, they have a whole crap of young guys that are very good now. Yeah, like 14 year olds. Like, what the fuck? Um, like, um, Scotty Andrews and, uh, God, I think it was his name, Nathan Murray and other guys, like really talented people. But they're all super young, and they're all yeah. just now getting in, as opposed to Jordan Devlin, who's been an OT around for a while. Yeah, he's been he's been around. Like he's not. He's like late twenties, right? Uh, yeah. And Jordan Devlin, for people that I guess was born following OTT, was a babyface for a while. Wasn't really getting over that well. They turned him heel. Wonder why? They they turned him heel. He then goes out and starts having this run of great matches. And then that organically turns him babyface. Yeah. And which is needed because OTT is a promotion that relies heavily on bringing in imports. Mm-hmm. So if most of their top guys are English guys, you're bringing in a lot of um, American names too. Um, sometimes a Canadian, a speedball Mike Bailey. Like, there aren't that many Irish people put in prominent positions in OTT. Sure. So... Other than Kings of the North, um, Katie Harvey, I think is Irish. I'm, ho- I'm hoping, I think she's Irish. Um, I guess she is. She is. Um, okay. and Jordan Devlin, those are your core Irish members of the roster. So I get thinking that because OTT is bringing in these imports and all these other English people, that maybe among the people that they're bringing in, Jordan Devlin isn't as good. But in, uh, um, burgeoning scene. I think he's very much among the top tier for right now. Will that last? Maybe not. I don't know. But for right now, I think Jordan Devlin fits perfectly. <laughs> he's definitely among the best right now. Is what they have. To sure. Offer. And like that's that's and, perfectly and, and, fine. And there, and there is and there is the hometown boy factor. Like yeah, you know, like yeah, yeah. for a scene that like had next to nothing or what yeah. people would call nothing to boast. Um. For years, other than having people like um, Finn Balor and Becky Lynch go out there and do um, um, great things and other promotions, yeah. there was no real Irish wrestling promotion to get behind. There wasn't like this big stuff to get. But there was Irish Whip, but um, there was Jeez. yeah, there was Irish Whip. But like, there was nothing else really. So to see Jordan Devlin, a native guy, go out there and get this much steam and have these good matches. Definitely has a lot of people like you know feeling very emotional, but they're trying to latch onto. 
I'm so happy for that. I just, I don't understand what these people see in him. I don't like, he's, he's, he's like, I'd, I'd almost compare him to Sonner Durson, who I think is way better in a somewhat similar role. It's not like the Birmingham scene is like way more developed than the Irish scene ever was, truthfully. But like, young guy who's, who gets, who gets, who gets a whole bunch of like people brought in to lose to him. And he's, I think he's actually good. Right. And like, if, let me put it this way, like, if, if Jordan Devlin wasn't Irish, if he was from Iowa instead of Ireland, mm-hmm. nobody would talk about him. I agree. Like he would, he would, he would be a guy. He'd be a guy that you Dylan know. Hales would make a thread about on the We Don't Know Wrestling forum that would get zero replies and six views, you and know. that would be it. You know what? I think at best, if he's in the U.S. indie scene and not and not, and not in Ireland, he's probably like. I don't know, like JT Dunn or something. And JT Dunn isn't sure. bad. And JT Dunn JT Dunn's a great, a great comparison. Another guy I don't like much. And JT Dunn isn't bad, but like there's nothing really there to latch onto. Um, yeah. so yeah, I see that. But again, there is just like a cultural significance thing that plays into it. Something that I'm never going to get. Yeah. And, and I think, I think that's kind of why at some point, I guess I like overlook it. I'm not going to be as critical of him for that point. Sure. Sure, sure, sure. Because he does hold a very, very significant, like, cultural, like, regional significance to those fans and to that fan base mm-hmm. because he's one of the first Irish people that you can really latch onto because Katie Harvey is a heel. Came to the North are heels. So when you have your. A very, a very specific sort of feel that is going to alienate half the fan base. Exactly. <laughs> um, so Jordan Devlin and him turning babyface is something that they haven't had yet to latch mm. onto. So mm. I think I understand like everything about it. If he was somewhere else, he yeah. would not stand out. He'd just be a mid tier, maybe Northeastern kind of guy. The JT Dunn comparison is incredibly apt. So, like, I get all of that, but I do think for where he is, he fits that scene perfectly, and they give him back something, which is a ton of emotion during his matches. They're really mm-hmm. invested in them, so mm-hmm. he gets he gets his matches elevated due to that, too. I get it, but... That's a lot. <laughs> no, I'm prepared. That's how we're ending this podcast. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you're prepared to, for Irish wrestling Twitter to come at come after you. Come at me. <laughs> My handle is at not Brock Yonke. That's spelled N O T B R O C K J A H N K E. All right, at, at me. DM me. My DMs are open. <laughs> <laughs> but um, well, yeah, I guess that's how we're ending the podcast. Um, <laughs> so stupid. We're gonna do three more of these. <laughs> I'm already pissed off. <laughs> you get to talk about Jordan Devlin? Yeah. It's one and done, though. Um, <sighs> all right. You can follow me on Twitter at QT underscore Moody if you don't already. I don't understand how I could be here for over a year now. You don't follow me, so. That is weird. We have found that that is true, though. It's super weird. Like, I don't I don't know what's, I don't know what's wrong with you. Do I have to make a separate Psychology is Dead Twitter account? Like, okay. Come on, guys. Um... But yeah, three more parts of this coming soon. This nearly went three hours, and I am scared at what we are going to do in the next three parts. So, thank you all for listening. 
See you on part two. And getting the love from them. I paid my own bills and came up with the illest shit. I was trying to find a way to get my family out of it. Spent my days in basements trying to write a motherfucking hit. Nowadays he's stumbling. They show such love to him. I shut it down at every show. We set the precedent. I'm just trying to show these niggas life is on some other shit. Keep your head high, smile when the trouble rumbling. <laughs> I don't do what they say, it's unorthodox Like bears sharing porridge and sour Goldilocks Like Ozzy with no sharing, he just call his parents So fuck what I'm doing and fuck these damn critics You should think for yourself, that shit is cancerous Get my hair up, my fingers are fucking hair models Middle finger, fuck the hair up at all the concerts Maybe if I can, less I'd wear a hairnet But now my eyes, 10 million by 25 Dropped out a long star, but flight from Lone Star Was working a couple jobs and quit, became a star, uh.